on air this Monday night, October the 9th. And for Fan for Racing Radio tonight, we are doing our Charlotte Roval NASCAR Race Review race review and hot topic sound off so joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight jay huseman and jay let me say first of all thank you for being available tonight oh not a problem my pleasure i'm glad i was able to and what a weekend to get to do or be part of the review as we had the close to the arca menard series the Charlotte Roval races, which uh, advanced some drivers in the playoffs and some not. So uh, my pleasure to be here tonight. Well, our plan is to cover it all here tonight on Fan for Racing Radio. We're going to start in our first half hour with some short track news. And afterward, we will review that Arkham Menard Series season finale at Toledo Speedway this weekend. We'll also include a brief update of the Arca West Series. Then in the second half hour, we'll briefly update the NASCAR Truck Series. They did not race this weekend, and we'll comment on the media interview by the NASCAR Xfinity Series winner, Sam Mayer. He's the driver of the number one junior motorsports Chevrolet, and he was below the cut line in 12th place and raced his way into the playoffs. An exciting finish for Sam Mayer. In the next half hour, we will review both the Xfinity and the Cup Series races at the Charlotte Roval. And then, of course, we close out our episode with the NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our Fan for Racing crew. And tonight, I believe we have uh, Mike Huseman, Mike Huseman, Mike Orzel, and Andy, and Andy Lasky. <clears throat> A little slip there. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if that helps me or not. It was my last name, so I don't know if that means anything or not. <laughs> well, I'll try not to do it again. How about that? <laughs> that was some short track news, and I've added to our list of uh, websites the srlsouthwesttour.com, and uh, they've got a nice feature there of Bakerfield's Buddy Shepherd. Uh, I believe he's going to be racing this weekend in the uh, October Classic at Kern County Raceway in Bakersfield. That's sun- Sunday, October the 15th. And uh, there's a nice uh, feature article about him. We talked to Sal about this. Most of the championships have already been determined here in each of these uh, sections, but uh, it's the p- positions below the champion that are still in question, and that's what these races are uh, vying for. So it should be a fun race this weekend for the SRL. Well, and the one thing I know when we talk about, yes, you celebrate the champion, but it's also seeing these other drivers, uh, ones that are competing for it, maybe even making limited starts based on funding or whatever, that we're going to start seeing. And I think Buddy Shepard is one of them. Uh, we've seen him make some starts uh, across the Arkham Menard series, and that name is becoming a little bit more uh, common when we talk about some of these other series. So I think we're going to see that name down the road. Yeah. Uh, in this article, they're talking about how he missed round six and seven of the Southwest Tour this year, but he returned for round eight at Irwindale and battled with Jacob Gomes for that top spot. So, um, uh, again, 
it's just really, really exciting to see uh, the SRL series being so strong and so many people participating. And uh, Buddy Shepard is certainly a, a part of that. And uh, this is a big event. In fact, I think there's an article about uh, a little bit of the history of this uh, event. If you read the Monday Memory feature that's on that website as well. I definitely want to check that out. And I know that's one of those of when Sal talked about the coverage we get nowadays, you know, the SRL series being the Southwest, the Arkham Nard scene kind of being the Midwest. He didn't know a lot about has gotten the exposure to that. We're getting the exposure to the SRL series now, I think is just great for racing because you can invest in drivers you may not know on the other side of the country. Exactly. I, I, I love it. And uh, I think we've sold Sal on the Arkham and Art series, and he sold us on the SRL series. So it's been a good partnership in that regard. It most definitely has, and I know, you know, being kind of in the central, kind of get the best of both worlds or all worlds, however many you want to, worlds are out there for you, but just appreciate some of the workers. Uh, Matt Weaver, I know, is one that covers short track uh, racing uh, across the board over on, and I'm trying to think now, he actually moved again. Now, but Sharon, where's he at now? He's still at short track scene, right? Matt Weaver? Uh, Matt Weaver, he, he's uh, on uh, Sports Knot, but he's also doing a few articles on Short Track Scene as well. Okay, there we go. I knew he had picked up another uh, another position. Yes, yes. Uh, there's The entry list has come out. I'm over at uh, uh, Racing America now. They have the full entry list for the Winchester 400. So that's going to be huge uh, this weekend. And uh, I'm just going through this. William Sawalich is on the list. Uh, let's see. Gio Ruggiero, Cole Butcher, Noah Gregson. Good to see his name. Jake Garcia, Dustin Smith, uh, Jake Finch, Stephen Nassi. Uh, Ty Majeski is on the list. So a lot of names on this list. I just mentioned uh, a few of them. If you want to see that entry list, it is over at uh, Racing America. And this is one of those, and this is a race that is on my bucket list. Uh, could have been, should have been this year maybe. Uh, but to see that mixture of up-and-coming stars as well as some uh, returning stars or drivers that have already kind of made their name and moved up, but see him come back and run races like this. Obviously, Noah Gregson's in a particular situation as to why he is, but we know Jake Garcia's been running in the truck series. Jake Finch made some starts as well. And then Ty Majeski running the full two series um, has been huge, I think, for this series throughout the year. It has been. And that race, by the way, is this Sunday, October the 15th. So that's another big race on uh, October the 15th, the Winchester 400. All right. Uh, what else do you see at uh, Racing America, Jay? Well, scrolling down, I take a look at the uh, Southern Super Series. They have some uh, highlights from the season. That's another one. And I know we talked about um, the involvement of 
see if I can get all four names here. Justin Marks, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kevin Harvick, and Jeff Burton for the Cars Tour. I think that's another one as the more involvement that they have with it, the more exposure it gets and the more we're going to see some of these drivers whose names we don't know and may never see at NASCAR's top level but need to be recognized as great short track racers. That's right. Uh, So some great uh, information, again, over at Racing America about all of that. Now, if you want to see some of the upcoming races that are going to be on uh, Flow Racing, uh, that's available over at flowracing.com. But they also have some nice video highlights there as well. The High Limit Title Fight takes center stage at Lincoln Park this weekend. Uh, That's the title fight between Kyle Larson and Rico Abreu. Some of the fans will recognize that name. I'm glad to see Rico uh, going back to his roots and and doing well. Uh, I know he was one that in the truck series. Wanted to see a little bit more success out of him, but uh, still out there racing. And and Kyle Larson doing this with him as a highlight deal. Um, again, just brings so much attention to the series. I love that. And it, we're talking about flow racing. Uh, right now they still have some live coverage, and I know Thursday we'll talk about what races they have coming up. But during the winter months, that's where you kind of lean on them kind of heavily. <laughs> I don't know about you, Sharon, but <laughs> get that fixed because you can go back and watch so much. I, I can't even imagine the video library they have that you can go through and watch throughout the off season. Yes, yes, definitely take advantage of that opportunity. There is a video here uh, breaking down the Cars Tour doubleheader at South Boston. Uh, Rob Blount, uh, I used to be on a radio show with Rob a few years ago, and uh, the Cars Tour announcer Blake McCandless break down the fantastic night of the Cars Tour racing at South Boston Speedway. So that's available, too, if you want to get some insight as to what happened in that race. That is one I hope uh, coverage eventually comes to TV of some sort, whether it be uh, MAV-TV or CNBC. Um, I watched the modified tour or modified races from Stafford, and I'm trying to think where the other one I watched this weekend to be able to watch those and, like I said, become invested with these drivers that we may or may not see. Um, I just I can't tell you how much that means to me anyway as a true race fan, uh, not a particular series, just a race fan. Well, that's, uh, that's just it. I think all of us are race fans first. Um, also, moving over to short track scene, if you want to know who won that race at South Boston Speedway in the Cars Tour, it was Deke McCaskill. And the tagline here says, has long been regarded as the elder statesman of the Solid Rock Carriers Cars Tour. So uh, you can read all about that over at Short Track Scene. And uh, that's, uh, let's see who wrote that. That is an article written, it's just a press release. It doesn't say who wrote it. But there's more that's available there, too. Montgomery, prolate model. Disqualification leads to engine builder penalty in the prolate models. Do you know anything about that one, Jay? I didn't, uh, other than seeing the headline, I didn't get a chance to actually pull that article up. Uh, But that's one of those that we've seen uh, issues throughout from top to bottom. I know NASCAR is really stepping up uh, as far as their issues 
with disqualifications. When it comes to these short tracks, and, and I go back to always um, with the room of doom at the at Five Flags Speedway for the Snowball <laughs> Derby, I mean, that's where it's got to start, and these guys take it very seriously. Yes, they do, and uh, it's a little bit different when you're talking about these short track races. Uh, these guys are very, very serious about their craft, and uh, it takes a lot of officiating in order to keep everything straight. So uh, it, it's re- it's really interesting once you get into it. You don't want to – you're going to really enjoy it. Let's just put it that way. The other one I did pick up here, and I had heard this already. I meant to put it up on the uh, the hot topics, but Bubba Wallace, speaking of the Snowball Derby, Bubba Wallace intends to enter mm-hmm. the Snowball Derby this year. Yeah, I think that's exciting. We mentioned that uh, last week, I think, too. And uh, there's quite a few people uh, from NASCAR that really look at that Snowball Derby and want to be a part of it. Uh, the year that Eric Jones, Eric, yeah, Eric Jones won, he happened to beat Kyle Busch, and Kyle Busch ended up becoming his boss because uh, he was so impressed with the way that Eric Jones raced that race. And uh, I tell you, it's it's really amazing. Uh, the talent that comes into that race, and it is so competitive and so hard to win. Derek Thorne tried many, many times before he finally was able to win it, I think just last year. And um, when I say many, many times, I'm not talking about more than 10 times, but he, he did enter several times before he was able to win it, and he learned something along the way each time he entered. So it's an exciting one every year. And that one is, is a crown jewel of short track racing. I, I don't know. I know there's a couple that are kind of approaching that level that we've talked about, but the Snowball Derby, it really still is uh, the one. And it's not just about the, the super late models there. I know a friend of mine uh, from here in Mississippi just announced they're going for the Outlaw Pro Truck Series. Um, and another one from Tennessee goes down into one of the other classes of, uh, I want to say it's a stock car or street stock. I know he runs street stocks around here. But that go down and run those preliminary races this is a full weekend event. Um, I think the, I'm trying to think of the modified series. I don't know if they, they run the Mayhem, mod, modified the Mayhem uh, series as well. So full weekend, if you want to can get the opportunity to go down there. I know I've had that pleasure once uh, to be down there. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and move on, Jay, to that season finale for the Arkham Menard Series at Toledo Speedway, the Shore Lunch 200, presented by CGS Imaging. And uh, we'll start with our post-race notes here. You want to start with the first one? Well, we got to start with Jesse Love as he started from the pole and led 89 laps on his way to second-place finish. But he did leave Toledo Speedway with the 2023 Arkham Menard Series Championship. Now, Love, who had clinched the title with his dominant win at Salem Speedway, ended the season with 10 wins in 20 starts, 17 total top five finishes, 18 top 10 finishes, and seven general tire pole awards. His final gap in the Arkham Menard Series Championship standings over runner-up Andres Perez was 141 points, just an absolute dominant season. 
been amazing, and I think we're going to hear the name Jesse Love for many, many years to come. Uh, we've already seen him race in the truck series. It's not going to surprise me if he's not racing uh, full time in the truck series next season. We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, but William Sawalich, he's the one who won the Shore Lunch 200 presented by CGS Imaging. It's his fourth Arca Menard Series win in 13 starts. So Wallace, the 2023 Arca Menard Series East champion, led a race-high 111 laps on his way to victory. His average finish was an amazing 3.62 and was nearly half a position better than the champion, Jesse Love, whose average finish in 20 races is at 4.05. So uh, William Sawalich is uh, one for us to watch as well. And you're right there. You're talking about the future, and we'll talk more about that uh, battle and Jesse Love here in in a few minutes. Uh, see what time we got left. But moving on to third was Sean Hingrani, as he earned his fifth top five fifth top five finish in nine 2023 Arkham Menard Series starts. Hingrani has four wins and leads the Arkham Menard Series West standings. Now by 37 points over Trevor Huddleston with three lane three races remaining, and that'll include Friday night Star Nursery 150 at the Bullring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Maybe we we'll get some live reports there, Sharon. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. All right, Andres Perez finished in fourth place. His tenth top type top five finish to close out his rookie season in the Arca Menard series. Perez is also fourth in the NASCAR Mexico series. He's just 14 points out of the lead with two more races left. Another name on the rise that I think we'll hear more of, especially here at fan for racing is Christian Rose as he finished fifth to notch his second consecutive top five, top five finish after finishing third last Saturday night at Salem Speedway. A Rose completed more laps than any other driver in 2023, finishing 2,550 out of the 2,624, and finished third in the final series standings. Mason Lugwood in sixth place, uh, and that was during his Arkham Art Series debut driving the Jeff Spraker prepared number 63 Chevrolet owned by Paris Wixon. So uh, we've seen that a couple times this year with drivers uh, making debuts and doing very well. Another one, and talk about limited starts, we got Andy Jakowiak. He rebounded from a spin into those foam blocks in turn three on lap 146. Come back to finish seventh, though, which is his seventh top ten finish in just 10 starts. Kaliak made several pit stops for repairs uh, to the rear of that car and only lost three laps in the process. Wow. Now, after a tough stretch starting from his fifth place fin- starting after his fifth place finish at Michigan International Speedway in August, Frankie Munoz closed out the season with back-to-back top 10 finishes. He finished 10th at Salem Speedway last Saturday night despite throttle issues uh, and ended his 2023 season with an 8th place finish at Toledo Speedway. Munoz, who played with his band Kingsfoil in Toledo uh, 10 years ago, finished 4th in the series standings. 
Congratulations to Frankie. I talked about that incident with Andy Jakowiak. Uh, Mamba Smith finished ninth after being involved in that incident. And then further contact from John Garrett uh, left him with damage. And there was some hard damage there if you didn't watch that race. But Smith had contended for a position in the top five prior to the incident. He finished ninth in both of his two career Arkham Menard Series starts, including his previous start at the 2022 Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. Yeah, I was happy. It's sad to see him get into those incidents, but I think he recovered well. Uh, Stephanie Moyer, she earned her first career Arkham Menard Series top 10 finish in 10th. She is the 28th female driver to score a top 10 finish in the series history. It's good to see more women getting involved there. It is indeed. And now, as I said, we're going to talk a little more about Jesse Love as he's the 40th different driver to win an Arkham Menard Series championship in the series' 71-year history. Love continues a 10-year streak of no repeat champions in the Arkham Menard Series. The last driver to win multiple championships, that was Frank Kimmel, who earned a record 10th title in 2013. And I believe, I know it doesn't have it here in the notes, but I believe this was Venturini's 100th win, but also earned his second owner's championship after beating the Joe Gibbs Racing number 18 team to take that title by 10 points. Venturini's wow. first owner's championship came in 2019. That's pretty cool. Uh, you know how competitive it was to have the owner's uh Difference there be just 10 points. That's amazing. And that was, I know uh, William Sawalich, again, uh, looking for the victory and got it, but that was a big part of the storyline was there was still that possibility, uh, we'll say that mathematical possibility of picking up the owner's championship, and they went after it. They, They certainly did. Now, they do have scenes from the finale, if you want to check that out over at ArcaRacing.com. Um, but I want to go over the uh, race results of that uh, event. So here it is. Uh, let's go from the bottom up here. Well, yeah, let's go from the bottom up here in, from 18th place. All right, you want to start me off? I didn't have that page loaded here, results. Oh, that's okay. I'll go ahead and start it off. Uh, Tim Monroe in the number 10 uh, came in in 18th place. He he uh, had a rough night. He was 100, 195 laps short, so he was pretty much out of the race pretty early. Or he go ahead. Uh, my page is loading here. Yeah. Yeah, I believe he complete. No, he was 195 laps down. Uh, the number 17. Uh, position was taken by Mike Basham driving the number 69 Kimmel Racing Chevrolet uh, and so that was a good finish for him in 16th, in the 16th place spot, spot. Oh, okay go ahead no go ahead uh, the 16th spot there another one unfortunately it shows 155 laps down was Brad Smith uh, another self-owned team you know, just to get out on the track is a huge victory for for some of these teams. So, uh, unfortunately, an early night for Brad Smith as well. 
Finishing in 15th was the number 66 of John Garrett. We heard his name uh, being caught up in some incidents. He finished 59 laps down uh, for Fort Worth Screen Printing Chevrolet. And from McCullough, Alabama, in the 14th spot was Rita Goulet. Uh, Again, ended 47 laps down here for this final event. Finishing 23 laps down was Nate Moeller, uh, finishing in 13th place, driving the number six Peterson Motorsports Toyota. The 12th place finish in the number 11 was Daryl Basham with the Double H Ranch Vampire State LLC Ford. Another one, 20 laps down. Uh, there were a couple of incidences, again, if you haven't watched this one, that uh, unfortunately took out several of these drivers. Exactly. There was only one driver who finished, well, three drivers that finished on, four drivers, excuse me, that finished on the lead lap here. Uh, but Alex Club driving the zero three came in 11th place uh, for his Club Racing Inc. Ford. He was 17 laps down. Highlighted Stephanie Moore there with the top 10 finish with that number 12 women's boutique consignment Toyota. Again, 13 laps down there, finishing in the 10th place. Okay, now we're getting into single laps down. Five laps down was Dylan Smith driving the number 15 Elliott Custom Trailer Parts Toyota. And the Rhett Jones Racing Ford was in the eighth place with Frankie Munez there finishing four laps down. And three laps down was Andy DeCaliac driving the number 73 Sabaro Pizza Toyota. Sixth place there, we talked about Mason Ludwig in his debut. Finished uh, two laps down, though, with that Bell, Bellwire Speednut Chevrolet. And Christian Rose driving the number 32 West Virginia Department of Tourism Ford finished one lap down. And that tells you how tough the competition is. We've talked about them all year, your top four here. In the fourth spot was the number two of Rev Racing, Max Siegel Incorporated Chevrolet, Andres Perez, the final car on the lead lap. And then finishing in third place is Sean Hingarani. He drove the number 25 Venturini Gear Wrench Toyota to a third place finish. And not very often we say second place, Jesse Love, in that number 20 <laughs> JBL Toyota, but... That's where he was, 1.162 seconds behind. And he's lost to him several times here, the number 18, Sharon. Yep, William Sawalich uh, for Joe Gibbs Racing, driving the number 18, Starkey Soundgear Toyota, uh, finishing in victory lane with a celebration of his first place finish. All right, uh, now the only series that still has races coming up is the Arkham Menard Series West. They have three more races left to race, and it's going to it starts with that Star Nursery 150 at Las Vegas this weekend. On October 21st, they'll race at Madera Speedway, and then November 3rd is their season finale at Phoenix Raceway. So three more races before they uh, decide who their champion is going to be, Jay. And I did watch this one as well um, from All-American Speedway. Talked about Sean Hingarani extending his lead. Trevor Huddleston, uh, I think it was like lap 
three or four had some issues, spent a lot of time outside the track in the pit area. And then uh, coming into the race, we talked about this on our preview show, second place Landon Lewis was only one point behind, but did not race. So Sean Hingarani now in a good spot with a 37-point lead with those three races remaining. Wow. All right. We'll see how that all plays out in the next three races, starting at Las Vegas this weekend. All right. Now, uh, we're going to play the media interview with Sam Mayer. He won his way into the round of eight in the Xfinity Series. I believe he was eight. I'm sorry. He was 12th going into uh, the Charlotte Roval race this weekend. So he was on the verge of elimination. And, boy, did he have a fast car uh, on Saturday uh, to come out and win this race. And so uh, he raced his way right into the round of eight. Well, and that's where we've heard the mantra of win and you're in, and he definitely took advantage of that as that was his one uh, route into the next round of the playoffs. It was indeed. Uh, Okay, so what we're going to do is play uh, about half of that media interview because the the entire interview is just a little over 16 minutes long. Uh, We'll play about half of that, and then Jay and I will comment afterward. So let's go ahead and get started with uh, the interview. Good everyone. We're going to go ahead and go into our post-race press conference here for today's NASCAR Xfinity Series race. We've now been joined by our race winner, Sam Mayer, driver of the number one Chevrolet for junior motorsport. Sam, congratulations on that win. <clears throat> a little bit of a win and advance opportunity for you today which you definitely backed up, but um, your third victory of the season. Talk to us a little bit about those final laps. You were strong much of the day, but really had to, to make a move there at the end. Yeah, our car was unbeatable all day. Like, I really couldn't do no wrong and, and still be out front. So it always feels good to have a good race car showing up to a race that you have to win and get in. Um, obviously, I'm really grateful uh, for everything, uh, the JRM and Marty and Aiden and everyone else on the team has done because they, uh, they put in the work and, and put in the hours, and we took what's ours today. So it feels really good to get a win. All right. Well, now we'll go to questions for Sam. If you have one, raise your hand. We do have a question in the press box. I'm going to start downstairs, then make my way up, and we'll start with John Newby. John Newby, NBC Sports. So three crashes, three finishes, 35th or worse. What were the, you know, conversations like this week and heading into this must-win situation, and what did you focus on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I speak for yourself. Having six points in three races is more embarrassing than anything else, and kind of went into this weekend, like, we knew we had to win and get in. There's really no other way, and we kind of just used the confidence of road courses in general to kind of push us to go win, and, like, obviously the conversations were you got to get your craft together. You got to you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to be perfect. And uh, we did pretty much exactly that today. The only laps we didn't lead today were pretty much because of pet strategy and a couple laps early when the seven got us. And then obviously as like a younger guy, I mean, it would be easy to be kind of overwhelmed in this situation. How did you you know keep from having that happen to you? Yeah, you know, I think just having confidence in general. 
uh, we, I just felt good in the race car. Like I didn't feel like I had to do anything crazy to be fast. I was just faster. Like the car itself was just that good today. And it feels really good to have an accelerated Camaro that, that that's that good. And, um, like myself, I was able to stay calm because I knew the car was that good. All I had to do was take care of it and uh, be there at the end. And Kevin on top of the roof and Marty on top of the box, they, they're really good at calming me down if I ever get too crazy. Today, we never got crazy enough to really have to calm me down, but um, it, uh, it all worked itself out today, and uh, it's because of everyone on the team. Okay, we're going to go to Jacob, please. Someone came from the tires.net uh, couple for you, Sam. I'll start with when you were first coming into the Xfinity Series, you self-admittedly were not necessarily the best road racer. You've got three of these now. You honed your road racing ability a couple years ago in Trans Am. How big was that in getting you comfortable enough to now be, as, as you said on TV, AJ Homendinger 2.0 at this point? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, so when I first got the Xfinity car, it's like, you're learning a new car, you're learning all these new racetracks that you really haven't gone to, and it's going to take a little bit, but I still have that background in go-karts, and I did quite a bit of uh, road racing in legend cars, so I had confidence on the road courses, it's just a matter of kind of getting the fine-tuning down and getting these, my, myself kind of in the mindset of how these Xfinity cars race, and uh, I finally figured that out. Obviously, the first couple of road races, the last year and this year, obviously, obviously weren't perfect, but we really kind of honed in on what we needed to do, and uh, Marty obviously made a really perfect race car today, and I drove a good race, and uh, road courses are one of my favorites to go to now because I have three wins on them. You've said confidence five or six times since you got out of the car. How big has having Marty back this year after all the success you had in K&N several years ago? How big has that been for that confidence? I think that's about 90% of it right there. Absolutely. I mean, having Marty, he, he he's very mellow, and he knows what he can do. He's very good, uh, but he doesn't put himself out there too much to where it jeopardizes himself. And I appreciate that as a driver because he does such a good job making decisions that he thinks of things that I would never think of even as a driver. And um, it worked out perfectly today. There was we, we talked for 20 minutes after qualifying about adjustments for the race and what to do, and I told him that I'm tight here and I'm loose here. I don't know what to do. Where There's no happy medium, and he came up with something, and it, it worked out perfectly. Trucks, you burst on the scene, had to win at Bristol. Xfinity, you came in, and the first two years were not not great. You said that yourself. <laughs> Was there ever a point? I, I know this year started well, but even that lull before the win at Road America, has there been a point at all in this whole process that you've gotten down on yourself, that you've doubted, you know, whether this was all going to work out like it has the last few months? Yeah, you know, like I I think anyone would feel that if they walked into a room and said, I'm going to do something and don't back it up. It took me a while to back it up, and I think I'm finally on my way to doing that. And there's a lot of stuff that I said that I still stand by because I want to be that. Um, but I still have a long road ahead of me. Like I said with Claire a couple minutes ago, it's like I have to go out there and I have to be perfect if I want to be a cup driver one day. My two mistakes today, neither of them jeopardized my day, but they they could have. And I need to I need to make sure I'm mentally focused at all times and don't get lazy on myself. And that's 
what cup drivers are best at is being laser focused 24 seven. Okay, we're gonna go upstairs to Jim Utter. Go ahead, Jim. Jim Utter, motorsport.com. Congratulations, Sam. Um, two questions. One of them is sort of similar to Jacob's. I was just wondering, how would you describe this season where you've had your first career win, you've gotten three wins, you pulled off a must-win victory, but you've also had some difficult times, including the three races where you've worked out. Just how would you describe this year? A roller coaster. <laughs> I guess I can't say that the last uh, two, three years. Um, but we've, we've had a lot of highs and we've had some lows. Obviously, the one low uh, that we had was most recent, and everyone's going to remember it because it was very bad for our playoff run. And we, we did not do our job. I did not do my job. We got in trouble, and uh, we had to come out of it. And we, like you said, had to have a clutch win today, and we did. Uh, it saved our season for now. We have to go out there and, and do the work because we've gotten this far, and we've done this much now, we have to finish off. And, and I feel like I'm not pressured to do it by any means, but I certainly have so much want to do it. And I think that the highs and lows of this year has taught me a lot. Uh, the good Lord above has, has put me through it, but he's rewarded me. Uh, obviously, today is one of those highs. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting through the rest of the year and, and seeing what we can do. All right. And Jay, what are your thoughts here? Well, I don't know if he actually ever used the word, but it was talked about all the way through, and that is maturity. They knew they were in a must-win situation. They had, hadn't run well, what do you say, over the previous three races, three DNFs had scored a total of six points. You know, that's not where a playoff contending team should be. They knew, he knew they had the confidence, they had the fastest car, and were in the best position and putting it in my own words now of don't take a first place car and finish 30th with it. So I think that was the biggest thing. And he talked about it, you know, where he said he made a couple of mistakes in this race alone um, that didn't cost him the race. And I think that's a huge, huge step in a good direction that we've seen in Sam Mayer. Yes, indeed. And, and I heard a lot of, uh, you know, he he is still striving for that perfection uh, that he feels he needs to be a NASCAR Cup Series driver at some point. Uh, and I think that illustrates that these drivers are constantly evolving to improve themselves. And Sam Mayer, I think, is a good example of that. Uh, and And I think he's done a fairly good job of it. Um, he was under a very high-pressure situation uh, at the race on Saturday, and he handled it, and he handled it extremely well. Now, I listened to uh, Claire B. Lang, and they, she had both drivers on. There was some contact there in the latter part of the laps uh, between him and Cole Custer. Uh, again, it wasn't yeah. – uh, I'm trying to think Cole Custer called it clean-ish. He didn't say it was a clean pass. He said it was clean-ish. So there, there was the nudge, you know, of, and Sam Mayer definitely had the faster car. We saw that, well, I heard it through the radio, but um, throughout the entire weekend. And like I said, he didn't run over anybody. He let him know he was there and coming, but he didn't run over anybody taking himself and or others out. So I think that, like I said, that goes back to the maturity of having that confidence, yeah. knowing that, 
and the maturity, he's just said, hey, I got the fastest car, going to win this race. Don't make a mistake that's going to make me finish 30th and, and, again, only get six points. Exactly. He wants to... He he wants to do uh, the things that he needs to do to get the results that he wants. And uh, he knows that um, although he strives for perfection, uh, none of those drivers are perfect. Even the veterans will make mistakes. But you have to strive for that perfection in order to get the kind of results that uh, these guys want. And and I think a big thing, and he talked about that uh, of knowing where the car is. In this case, he knew he had the fastest car. But even, and I'll just throw some numbers out there. Say you have a fifth place fast, fifth fastest car, fifth place car. Take fifth. If the opportunity presents itself and something happens in front of you, capitalize on it. But also then don't take away your fifth place by being the one that creates a situation that other people are going to capitalize on. Exactly right, <laughs> because they will. They will capitalize on that mistake. Um, so uh, I thought the race was a very, very good race. Um, I was able to see uh, the race on Saturday. I didn't get to see the race on Sunday. I did listen to it on the radio, uh, at least part of it. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of anxious to hear what you have to say about that race. Um, but in, in this case, I did watch it and I thought Sam Mayer did an excellent job. Marty Lindley, he's worked with so many great drivers and had so much success as his crew chief and everything. Uh, I like what he had to say about Marty Lindley as well, that he is cool, calm and collected. And, uh, a driver needs that when they're under, uh, the kind of pressure that Sam Mayer was under this weekend. Well, and especially coming off of the stretch they had, because that's what we've seen in years past. As you get in desperation mode, uh, start to lose that confidence that you can do it. You know, again, he came at what I think it was his second, first, first time at Bristol that he won that truck race. Was that his first start even in the truck series? I don't remember, but uh, I can't. One at a relatively early stage when it came to to the trucks. Um, and put in that position. So, yeah, you're expected to win, and if you don't. And I think he was one they talked about how long, you know, it took Chase Elliott to say, well, getting to the cup level. You know he's got the talent. He's won championships and won in everything he's uh, been in prior to that, but it still takes time. And Junior Motorsports, giving him that time, pairing him with the crew chief, uh, Lindell, like you said, to work through it. Um, and I know there's been some discussions and he obviously has heard them and self-reflected on them. That's a huge thing. When he talks about that, yeah. he said, I know where I've been and what mistakes I've made. And I'm trying to fix those and take them away. Exactly. I like that. So let's go ahead and uh, start our review of the Xfinity series race. It was the drive for the cure 250 presented by blue cross blue shield of North Carolina. The race winner of course was Sam Mayer. He is uh, in the round of eight now at the age of 20, driving the number one accelerate pros talent Chevrolet for junior motorsports and his crew chief, Marty Lindley. Uh, this was his third victory in 80 Xfinity Series races, his third victory and 16th top 10 finish this year. 
and it's his first victory and second top 10 finish in three races at Charlotte Motor Speedway on the road course. Now, Cole Custer finished second. He posted his third top 10 finish in three races at Charlotte Motor Speedway on the road course and his 19th top 10 finish of the season. Josh Berry came in third, posting his second top 10 finish in two races at Charlotte Motor Speedway's road course. Sammy Smith finished in 11th place. He was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, he, again, Sam Mayer needed that win to advance to the round of eight uh, in the Xfinity Series playoffs. Uh, so what did he do? He went out and he dominated the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval on the way to his third win of the season and his third career win. All of his wins have come on road courses. Cole Custer, again, finished in the runner-up place. He was just one second behind. Uh, Josh Berry placed third but was eliminated from the playoffs. He he was another driver that was in a must-win situation, and third wasn't good enough to get him in. Uh, the number 98, Riley Earps, came in fourth place. Kaz Grala rounds out the top five. Then it was Parker Kligerman, Daniel Hemrick. They finished sixth and seventh. They were also eliminated uh, from the postseason. And, uh, again, they had good positions, but it wasn't enough. They needed the win, and, unfortunately, only one driver can win. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek scored a playoff point for winning stage two and finished in eighth place. Then it was Austin Hill and Sheldon Creed who round out the top ten. Jeb Burton was also eliminated from the playoffs. Justin Algauer won the opening stage, but he was involved in a late wreck and finished in 37th. There were 10 lead changes among five drivers and four cautions for 12 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 77.387 miles per hour. You had to feel for Justin Algauer uh, when he got into that incident uh, late in the race. Uh, Jeff Burton was leading. He was on a restart on old tires, and he lost his car going into that turn. And um, unfortunately, when he lost the car, he ran into Justin Algauer, and Justin Algauer had a hard hit into the wall that damaged his car uh, and ruined the, the finish for him in that race. And that was one of those I was going to ask you, Sharon, and you said you watched it, this one I listened to on the radio. I knew that Justin Algauer was involved. It was one of those of maybe put himself in the wrong position, knowing that Jeb Burton in that desperation mode of had to win, maybe took a chance and didn't have the car, so maybe should have waited a little bit. And, again, I haven't seen this race yet. Uh, I still have it on DVR. I hadn't gotten a chance to watch it yet. But maybe not have put himself in that position yet at that point um, to allow that car to work its way backwards because, obviously, it was a desperation move. But everybody was in that position. Uh, you talked about it. Twelve or Ten of the 12 playoff drivers finished in the top 12. The only two that didn't were Jeb Burton and then Justin Algar. And without Sam Mayer winning, if Cole Custer wins that, I believe Daniel Hemrick and Parker Clearman yep. maybe would have been the two to work in. 
Daniel Hemrick had done everything he needed to do, scored the most stage points. I believe he had 18 out of the 20 stage points and built up a cushion, but he needed somebody other than Sam Mayer or previous or somebody below him that could advance and push him back out. So they were racing, and they were kept being put in that position of, hey, third isn't going to do it. You mentioned Josh Berry. You need to be the one to get up there and win. Um, you know, so there were a lot of them that were going through those emotions of, hey, you've done everything right. It's still just not going to be enough. Yep, yep. And it, it just goes to show uh, just how important, and we're going to bring this up in the cup race as well, just how important those those uh, playoff points are uh, for those stage wins and, and uh, winning races and uh, those playoff points are super, super important at this stage of the game. Uh, and uh, uh, you can race really, really well and still not make it into the playoffs. And this weekend was a good example in the Xfinity Series. Uh, any other comments on those top ten there? Outside of the playoff drivers, uh, a great run there by Riley Herbst and Kaz Grala. The two that were in the top five, actually, that were non-playoff drivers. Uh, and we saw that Riley Herbst one that just barely didn't even make the uh, playoffs as far as finishing, mm-hmm. I believe, in the 13th place. He was in that position back a couple of weeks when they had the playoff start, uh, the cutoff race, was in, was out, was in, was out. Um, so he's been through that. Now it's pretty much just continued to improve on his craft, which I think we've seen huge steps this year from that team. And then the 26th, uh, I believe that's a Hunt Brothers uh, racing machine, the number 26, Kaz Grala. Again, we've mm-hmm. talked about the talent that Kaz has, not just on road courses, but week in and week out. Uh, just a little bit better performance from that team, and I think they're going to be in the conversation for years to come as well. Exactly. 33 drivers finish all 67 laps of this race, uh, and that's out of 38 drivers. Uh, Brett Moffat, unfortunately, had an ignition issue that took him out of the race on lap 40. Uh, Justin Algauer was caught up in that accident with Jeb Burton that took him out of the race on lap 60. Ryan Ellis also had an accident taking him out on lap 63. Um, and then uh, Jeb Burton and uh, Connor Daly uh, finished 66 of the 67 laps. So uh, the margin of victory, again, was .909 seconds, thousandths of a second. So just an amazing race, and uh, I thought the Charlotte Robo put on a good show. I know we'll talk about this. I meant to put this up on the uh uh, hot topic board, but I wanted to get your thoughts about taking out the stage breaks or put, putting the stage breaks back in. I, I put know that, that on a lot of the, the driver, Yeah, we we talked about that when they, when they announced it, and this is one. And I'm not in a team where where it involves the, the strategy. It's a different strategy. I'll tell you that, and it depends on your position. We talked about Daniel Hamrick if he thought he was going to get in on points, was repeatedly going for the stage points and building up that cushion. However, it didn't pay off. So in that case, uh, they needed to go the other route and set themselves up to win the race. With Sam Mirror, they talked about that of they had the fastest car. It didn't matter. They knew they could um, 
make the pit calls they wanted to make and drive back to the front um, with fair, fairly confidently anyway. So it's just it's a different strategy. I know a lot of the drivers talk about that, though. You basically got to either give up stage points to go for the win or get the stage points and not have a chance to win. I don't know if I fully agree with that, but, again, I'm on the outside looking in. So I think it was important, though, because it – I know road courses are a little bit different. We saw that for, what, a year and a half that they didn't do stage? Yeah, I think a year and a half that they didn't do the stage breaks. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I, for the fans, I think it's important in the consistency since they do it on all the other tracks and races. But I understand on a road course it's a little bit different when it comes to the strategy because they're shorter and you can uh, strategize different if there aren't the breaks. So, it's a tough call, but I think the fact that to be consistent for all races, I think NASCAR did need to put them back in. And then it ties into, I know fans hate to hear it, but it ties into the TV package when we talk about that. And I know I've heard this discussion on multiple um, radio shows throughout uh, Sirius XM. There, there's going to be commercial breaks. I mean, that's going to happen. If they can use up some of those during caution flag laps, during these stage breaks, prior to come back, cover the pit stops, a couple more after, they get in at least two, and then two breaks is four commercials where you're not missing green flag racing action. So I think fans need to understand that. Those commercials are going to come. Now you got the option of missing green flag racing action or some laps under caution. Exactly. Um, I, I, I uh, am a fan of the sage breaks uh, for various reasons. I'll share more of my thoughts on our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion, but uh, I thought it was all good. Uh, Jay, you want to cover the points before we run out of time? All right. Do it after the reset. I think that's the one I make sure that, and I lost it. Oh, sorry, that page shut down on me, Sharon. Yep, this is okay, the well, series. Let me go ahead and uh, do the Xfinity Series uh, points. John Hunter Nemechek, of course, is at the top of the list. Uh, he has the seven race wins, and uh, just 16 points behind him is Austin Hill with four race wins, Justin Allgaier, and Sam Mayer each have three wins in third and fourth place. With two wins is Cole Custer. One win, Chandler Smith sits in sixth place. Then in seventh place, it's uh, Sheldon Creed. Uh, Sammy Smith in eighth place with the one race win. The drivers that, uh, and we've mentioned it before, Daniel Hemrick, Parker Kligerman, Josh Berry, and Jeff Burton all were eliminated and will not advance into the round of eight. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, sorry about that. I said I closed it as I was trying to pull that page up. I closed it, but you talked about it. John Hunter Nemechek, um, and he's been solid throughout the playoffs anyway, but with those 55 stage points he built, built up, he goes back to the top mm-hmm. and has a 16-point lead just over second place Austin Hill. Uh, from there, it was 39 points for Austin Hill, 35 for Justin Algar, and then they got a gap down to Sam Mayer, who's only got 
20. Now, he just gained five more, which is huge, because those still carry forward at this point. So mm-hmm. your top two are 16, or uh, top three are 16 points back for Hill, 20 back for Algar, then it's 35 back for Sam Merritt, and then 37, 46, and so forth. Just that alone sets you up with a half a race to a full race buffer zone. Um, yeah, that you can make a little bit of a mistake, obviously not have more than one or a big one. But and that goes back to I wanted to hit that of you mentioned it. Um, 30, what, 33 cars running um, at the end of at the finish of the roval. So if you lose, say you go from the top five to being out of the out of the race, you, you're not losing only five, ten positions like we talked about multiple cars laps down in the Arkham Menard series. You're talking about losing all of them because these cars are all still running at the end. So that's a huge thing, yeah. too, when it comes to, you know, not finishing a race. Yes, and and that's like uh, when you're in the playoffs, that is something you do not want to happen because it is a huge loss. And Sam Mayer mentioned it in his interview, and you mentioned it as well, uh, having only, what, uh, three or six points. In, in two races, uh, that he knew he had dug a hole, and his only way out of that hole was to go after that victory. But he was able to do it. Well, and, and we'll talk about that even more when we, when we get to the Cup Series uh, here, talking about it's not about where you, you said you did what you could in this race. It's not about this one race. Playoff rounds are three races you know, the regular season and the playoff points. It's where could you have gotten playoff points throughout the year to have a bigger buffer zone. Uh, You know, we've talked about it for several years since they implemented this system. Those playoff points matter huge. And and like I said, we'll talk about that big time here when it comes to the Cup Series. Yes, indeed. They do matter, and they matter in a very huge way. You are absolutely correct about that. Uh, Let's go ahead and move on now to the Cup Series because they raced this weekend as well. Uh, their race sounded exciting, what parts I heard on the radio. Uh, I did not get to see the finish of the race, but it sounded like it was a very emotional win uh, for uh, Justin Al, not Justin Algauer, for uh, A.J. Allmendinger. And I went back to the Xfinity Series, so give me a second to go to the Cup Series here. Well, you definitely hit on it. Uh, you cannot even, uh, I can't even describe the emotion that we saw from A.J. Albendinger winning that race. Uh, that yes. is one of those that make you truly feel for these drivers and understand what they're going through, especially somebody in A.J. Allmendinger's case. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later as well, I think, under hot topics. And what I've heard, because I heard it on the, on the radio today, uh, from what I've heard from him, he, it was almost a relief for him to finally get that win. And one of his comments was something to the effect of, you never know when the next one is going to happen. So you have to really uh, appreciate every win that you get. Um, the race was the Bank of America Robo 400. A.J. Allmendinger at the age of 41 was the winner, driving the number 16 Celsius Chevrolet for Colleg Racing with crew chief Matt Swiderski. Uh, it was a third victory in 426 Cup Series races, his first victory in six top ten finish this year, 
and his first victory and third top 10 finish in four races at the Charlotte Roval. A.J. Allmendinger, he can't be in first and second. He'll finish second in this race. <laughs> William, By- William Byron second. Okay, yeah, the notes here say A.J. Allmendinger. Okay, William Byron posted, I think, his third top ten finish in four races at Charlotte Motor Speedway uh, on the road course and his sixth top ten finish this season. Um, they've got A.J. Allmendinger again in third place. Who finished in third place, Jay? Uh, Kyle, Bu- Kyle Bush. Okay, <laughs> Kyle Bush. Uh, posted his third top ten finish in four races. That's not right. This is not right. Yeah, they gave Almendinger uh, stats across the board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something happened there where that's not at all correct. Um, okay, let me – this is the wrong one. Let me see if I can find the correct information here because – the information that I had there was not correct. Well, while you're doing while you're doing that, I want to talk about what you said there of AJ Allmendinger, and I think we've always seen that out of him of being very appreciative of the position he's in. That you mentioned winning and not knowing when that next one's going to come. I think back to Jeff Gordon and understand his position, but it wasn't until later in his career that he really began to appreciate every victory because you didn't know when the next one was going to come. And we see all drivers go through that. But A.J. Allmendinger has kind of always been that way, just appreciative, knowing that for whatever reason it could be your last one. You don't know when that next one's going to come. Okay, yeah, that is so true. Okay, we know that A.J. Allmendinger won the Bank of America Robo 400 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Um, William Byron was the one who finished second, followed by Kyle Busch in third. Then it was Ty Gibbs. Ty Gibbs in fourth place was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Um, Joey Logano was the pole winner. He finished in fifth place. Then it was Tyler Reddick, Chris Busher, Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, and Ross Chastain. Almondinger led 46 of 109 laps, including... The final 33 laps, he was never seriously challenged uh, late in the race, despite several late restarts. Uh, Again, it was an emotional win for A.J. Allmendinger, um, who is a road course aficionado. Allmendinger stole some of the thunder from the playoff drivers with a convincing victory Sunday. He was driving the number 16 college racing Chevrolet. He led twice for a race-high 46 laps, including the last 33. Again, he beat runner-up William Byron to the finish line by point six 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 one thousandths of a second to win his first cup race of the season and his first at the Charlotte Road Course and his third of his Cup Series career. All of his wins have come on road courses as well. Drivers advancing to the round of eight include Larson, Hamlin, Blaney, Chris Buescher, Martin Truex Jr., Christopher Bell, William Byron, and Tyler Reddick. Those that were eliminated for the playoffs, Ross Chastain, 
Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, and Bubba Wallace. We lost two champions in the round of 12 with Kevin Harvick and um, all of a sudden it escapes me. Joey Logano. Joey Logano. Joey Logano. In this round, we lost two more previous champions, Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch. It makes you wonder what's going to happen in the Kyle of eight, uh, round of eight. Kyle of eight. Um, there's only two other uh, previous champions. That's Martin Truex Jr. and um, Kyle Larson. So it makes you wonder. Uh, hopefully they'll make it into the round championship four, but uh, I don't think any of us would have predicted this at the beginning. Yeah, and, and that's where we'll get it. Yeah, we'll get into that when we talk about. I know Mike put it up of of where we think the playoffs are at, but and that goes back to me to the stage points. Uh, Martin Truex, your regular season champion, uh, it had never. Joey Logano unfortunately set the a new record for the defending champion being eliminated in the round of sixteen, as you mentioned. The Regular season champion had not been previously eliminated prior to the round of eight, which came really close with Martin Truex, and he's got those playoff points in his bucket. And that's mm-hmm. where I said this was a big highlight because he's doing what Chase Elliott did a few years ago, not having the best of rounds here in these playoffs, leaning heavily on those playoff points and just barely getting in. He was in that line of watching where he was racing, who he was racing when it came to that cut line. Mhm. Yeah, it's really been amazing. Um, any additional thoughts though with the top ten here? Well, there were several, and I know you read it. You read two different things there. It said that AJ Allmendinger was never challenged, but then it talked about a point six six margin of victory. William Byron mm-hmm. was coming there at the end. Had there been a caution, Tyler Reddick may have had actually the best and fastest car throughout the race. Um, ended up in six. Again, a little bit of pitch strategy put him in the back, and they just weren't able to work their way back through um, without a caution. He was working his way through on the track. A caution would have really mixed that up. Um, but A.J. Allmendinger, you mentioned, got to be considered one of the best uh, road course racers. And when William Byron got to him, and this is one because I did watch uh, this one on TV got to him. I don't even know if he got the bumper to him, but definitely put some pressure on him. Almanigger like felt that or whatever and started to pull away again, got a bigger gap, and then maybe backed up a little, and William Byron was pushing hard trying to get that victory. And and there again, we talk about that. William Byron locked in um, based on points in his position. He was going after that victory. I mean, that was what he was there for. And then in third place, you had Kyle Busch cheering for both of them to get together because he was in that must-win situation. And I think that's one that I know he led once for six laps. If Kyle Busch wins, I think we're talking about Martin Truex being out, depending on where somebody else finished, because he was right along that cut line. So Truex was rooting against his former teammate, Kyle Busch, because that would have put him <laughs> in, a, in a bigger situation of where he was running. And then you got exactly. rookie Ty Gibbs. Uh, rookie Ty, Ty Gibbs didn't make the playoffs, was right on the cut line, but has been one of the most impressive throughout the playoffs as a non-playoff driver and just the maturity level and and finishes he's had in the second half of the season to even come close to having a shot at making the playoffs 
has been uh, greatly impressive. It, it really has been. Uh, he's done quite well for himself. Now, uh, there were, of the 37 cars racing, 33 of them finished 109 laps of this race. Uh, the rest uh, finished uh, uh well, actually, the rest of them weren't even laps down. They ended up uh, not finishing because of either accidents or mechanical problems. Uh, Denny Hamlin, dead last in 37th place, uh, couldn't get back on the track because of the damaged vehicle policy. Uh, Eric Jones finished in 36th place. He was out on lap 69 because of an accident. Uh, lap 84, Andy Lally was out because of an accident. And on lap uh, 96, it was Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And I've heard about how scary his situation was and everybody praying for him to get out of that car. He had some type of an electrical issue uh, that caught his car on fire. uh, And fortunately, he was able to get out of that car safely. You know, it was kind of ironic. I mean, the fire itself and the smoke coming out of it definitely looked really, really bad. I don't know. Uh, I didn't see uh, an interview with him or hear him talk about it. He didn't seem to be extremely like we saw, and I'm trying to think of his name that was on fire, um, Larry McReynolds' son-in-law, Jordan Anderson, uh, trying to get out of the vehicle while it was still moving. That car had come to a stop, and it looked extremely bad. Um, Stenhouse, even after he had gotten unbuckled and was coming out, never seemed to be in a real panic. So I don't know if it was more smoke inside the car than the fire. The one thing I know they talked about was the possibility of, we saw this last year, NASCAR made some huge changes to try and correct it. The fire in the uh, sidewall foam, um, they don't know, at least I hadn't heard at this point of if they had determined what the fire came from but we hadn't seen that since last year. And I know Kevin Harvick was one of them that was involved in that, that fire starting in that sidewall foam and having nowhere to go. Um, That was kind of what it appeared to be anyway, that type of situation, but he was able to get out. Yes, he was. And I just realized, yeah, I got ahead of myself. I think we skipped the uh, truck series update, (laughs) but uh, that's okay. We'll get to that. Uh, All, right, you want to um, do the finishing up, all right, finishing up here, though, there were a couple I wanted to give big shout-outs to. Uh, Michael McDowell was one of them. Uh, again, was eliminated huh. from the playoffs, did not have power steering, was involved in an accident, said it was done, take it to the garage, and he said, no, bang the hood down, let's go. Uh, determined to finish that race. Another one I, I was hoping maybe to hear from him post-race of his condition, but talk about drivers that just – gut it out. I mean, uh, it was unbelievable to watch what Michael McDowell did there. Unfortunately, he did finish in the 32nd position, though. Yes, but you're right. He had some really difficult situations. Wasn't there another driver that had steering issues as well? Um, actually, I think that was in the Xfinity series. I want to say maybe Josh Berry finished in third. I don't know that I heard on I the I think it was side. Josh Berry. To... You're right. Yeah, I think in the or in the Xfinity it was Josh Berry, and he did manage to hang on to it uh, for a third place finish. Um, trying to run down there, and that's so hard. Uh, there again, I mean, and if you've ever had power steering go out in your personal vehicle, imagine it at 160 some miles an hour. Yeah, 
Um, several of the drivers have talked about that. You got to, at least in this new age of car, and I say modern era of even going back to mid 70s to 80s, I think when they came with power steering, um, it's not like it used to be where you could outright muscle it. I mean, this is just beyond belief nowadays. It, it really is. All right, let's go ahead and hit the uh, points report. All right, with the reseeding now, talk about Martin Truex. Uh, second place is five points back because he has 36 playoff points. William Byron has 41 as the top uh, win-getter with six wins. So he goes to the top. Um, Martin Truex only five back. Denny Hamlin, even with that last place finish, based on the playoff points, goes back up to third place. Then Kyle Larson, Chris Buescher, Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, and Ryan Blaney. Now, those are your eight that are advancing. Um, from top to bottom, though, it's only 27 points difference. We talked about in the Xfinity Series, 16-point difference. That's how competitive the Cup Series is. First to eighth is now wow. 27 points uh, only. So the four that are right now technically below the cut line, Chris Buescher, Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, and Ryan Blaney. And between Kyle Larson and Chris Buescher, it's only a three-point difference. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Uh, and it all starts at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend uh, for this next round of eight. Uh, it, it's uh, it's going to be interesting because this is where the rubber is going to hit the road. Four, half of those drivers are not going to make it into the final four. Um, do you have any early picks? Well, right now, um, you look at William Byron, again, six wins on the year, which is the most. I think everybody else only has three. I think Denny Hamlin, I know we've talked about him and where he's been in the past as far as the mentality and running for a championship, um, has been really solid this year. So I'd have to put those two in. Kyle Larson is another one. It depends on. Um, they've kind of had a rough streak along with Martin Truex, the other two that are currently in. Below them then, we've seen Christopher Bell last year do two walk-off wins to advance, uh, win and you're in. He did that twice last year to advance to the Final Four. Tyler Reddick is the other one I would say if we're talking about somebody from below the line moving in. Now, Chris Buescher, the year they've had, they got three victories. He's in a good position, as I mentioned, only three points from the cut line um, of Kyle Larson in front of him, but he's also got Christopher Bell and Tyler Reddick only five points behind him, both of whom we know can win races. Uh, Bell having won so far this year, Tyler Reddick with two. So the competition is going to be really tough. I really think we could see some major upsets here, as as you talked about, losing uh, prior champions. William Byron, having the best year he's had so far, has never made the final four. And right now, even based on points, uh, you would think he'd probably advance on points if need be, um, if three other winners were to come in in this next round, that he should be the one to advance on points, assuming he doesn't have any real bad races. So um, it's going to be interesting because I I really think it could go a lot of different ways. Um, Just the fact that we've seen some of these, what we'd call heavy contenders, have a little bit of a rough stretch. You know, like I said, Martin Truex and Kyle Larson have not exactly been dominant through this round. Kyle Larson, I think he finished in the top five in all three races in the first round. Um, I don't think he had a top ten in the second round. 
Wow. Very interesting. Um, I do think that this is uh, going to be an interesting round for the uh, Cup Series, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out. The next race, of course, is the Southpaw 400 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. That race will take place on Sunday, um, October the 15th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. It will be on NBC, radio coverage on PRN and SiriusXM NASCAR radio. Practice and qualifying, that'll be uh, on Saturday, October the 14th, starting at 12.35 p.m., and uh, that will be televised on USA. For the Xfinity Series, uh, they'll be racing the Alsco Uniforms 300 or 302, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Saturday the 14th, uh, and that will be on USA Network. Uh, that will be – they'll have practice and qualifying. That will be at 3.30 for the race. Practice and qualifying will be on Friday starting at 7.05 p.m., and uh, that will be also be covered on the USA Network. So um, – for the truck series, we won't see the trucks back on the track until Homestead, Miami. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our truck series update uh, since we're there now. Um, the Baptist 200 at Homestead, Miami Speedway will be at 1 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, October the 21st with practice and qualifying on Friday, October the 20th, starting at 4.05 p.m. Uh, that will be, uh, is that, um, that's not an elimination race. That's their first race in their next round, correct? Did I lose Sal? Or did I lose you, Jay? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, I was on mute. Um, no, I believe that is actually because they don't run Martinsville. I'm trying to look now. Wow, Jayski is not being cooperative tonight at all. Yeah, there's just a lot of not good information uh, for whatever reason. Um, let's see, we want to look at the no, schedule. The, the, yeah, the Homestead race is their elimination race. That's their final before Phoenix as uh-huh. they don't run uh, Martinsville as, uh, either. All right. So that this is their elimination race for the round of eight, and this will determine who are going to be the four drivers that go for the championship on November 3rd at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, so that's amazing. Uh, It it just boggles my mind every year when we go through this. I know that their schedule is a little bit different, and they have fewer races than uh, the Xfinity and the Truck Series. Uh, But everything seems to happen so fast in the Truck Series, even though we wait so long sometimes between races. Yeah, and that's what – I'm trying to pull this up on my phone, the Truck Series points, so we can talk about those – but it is, uh, we've had a three-week gap, actually, between races, because I know we kind of lightly hit on the preview for the truck series, and we got another week. And then, again, they'll have an additional week in between, being that they don't run Martinsville, where the Xfinity Series and Cup Series will go into Martinsville between 
Homestead and Phoenix Raceway. Yes. So um, Corey Heim is still at the top of the list there in the in the uh, truck series. There we go. I got it pulled up off NASCAR.com. Uh, you're right, Corey Heim, Carson Hosevar, Christian Eckes, and Nick Sanchez, the ones that are right now above that cut line. Grant Infinger, Ben Rhodes, Ty Majeski, and Zane Smith, um, the ones that got to race their way in. And truthfully, you're looking at all four of them probably – no, I take that back, two of them. Ben Rhodes – and these lines don't match up. Ty, I'm sorry, Ty Majeski at minus 49 and is 19 points behind the cut line, um, close to a must win. Zane Smith uh, most definitely is. He's 36 points behind – uh, that's half the race. Uh, again, you can pick up those in the first two stages. So Nick Sanchez right now at 30.91. Grant Enfinger at 30.88 is only three points behind him. And then Ben Rhodes at 30.86, another two points back. And then above Sanchez at 30.97 is Christian Eckes. So again, only another six points up there. Those four really could be doing a points battle racing, uh, points racing throughout but you got to be careful of that because then if you have somebody such as Zane Smith, if they're the one that picks up the win, jumps above the cut line, what you were racing around for a cut line and who you're racing changes in a heartbeat. Yeah, and again, we're talking about a, a former champ. He's the defending champion. No, is he? Yeah, I think he's the defending champion, isn't he? Zane Smith is, yes. Um, and, and there again, we know he's moving on, but... And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's finished second, second, and first in his three full-time seasons as far as it comes to the championship. And he's currently, like I said, in the A spot and pretty much in a must-win or really close to a must-win situation. Yes, he is. And and I'm not going to say he can't do it because we've seen him do well. Uh, And you never know when Zane Smith's car is going to come alive and and he, he can make things happen. Um, but uh, your thoughts about the top four, you think that's going to be the final four going into uh, Phoenix? I do not, and I say that based on the fact of, like I said, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, all separated by only 11 points. Um, that can change in the stage, stage racing early in the race and any other kind of activity throughout the race. So, no, I don't think we got the top. The top two, I would say, are locked. Curry Heim and Carson Hosevar. Um, Christian Eckes, I feel fairly confident in the third place, but it, there's no guarantee with it. Uh, so, yep. again, it depends on if he's up front and going to win the race or a top five finish, then I think he's in a good position. Uh, whereas even you talk about Nick Sanchez, three points if you're in the top five, if Grant Enfinger or Ben Rhodes have picked up stage points um, above him, if they finish second, third in front of him, it could actually swing that. I mean, we talked about it, one or two points. That's one, two positions on the track. So a top five might not get it, depending on how you how many points you've built up in the, in the early stages. Yeah, this is going to be a close one, I think, uh, without a doubt. And uh, just one more race to determine who those final four are going to be. Um, and I agree. I, I think it's hard to predict which one of them is going to end up on top when it's all said and done. 
and we, we talked about from the bottom, just looking at the bottom, um, Zane Smith, you talked about it being the previous champion, um, defending champion, and like I said, have been finished in the top two for three straight years. Right above him, Ty Majeski. He's one that I would have thought at this point might have even been a locked-in driver going into this yeah. round, but he's not. And then you got Ben Rhodes, another one, along with Grant Enfinger, um, two very veteran, solid drivers, know what they got to do, know the position they got to have their truck in when it comes down to the finish. Um, yeah, I, that's – and you got young drivers such as Nick Sanchez and Christian Eckes above them. Uh, they might be able to capitalize on that, just their experience, the playoff pressure, um, not putting their trucks in a bad position, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and uh, we're talking about Homestead, Miami. It's a 1.5-mile track. These guys are – all of these guys are good on the 1.5-mile tracks, and uh, it's going to be tough to, to figure it out. Somehow I got a feeling Corey Heim is going to win that race and probably the championship. Uh, he's definitely been solid. Uh, we, we've talked about this. Again, his stat line for the year has been tremendous picking up the regular season championship, even having missed a race. He did missed a race due to illness and uh, got the waiver from NASCAR. Still, minus that one race, was the regular season champion. I mean, that tells you there, he gave him a whole race, and they still weren't able to catch him when it came to the regular season. Um, but we've seen that in the past. Of, I, think, I think back to Kevin Harvick, 10, 10 wins going into the playoffs and did not win the championship. So it's never a guarantee. It's never, ever a guarantee. So um, very cool. Now let's um, see if there's any news that we want to make sure we tell fans about. Here. All right, let me see if I got any for the truck series. I'll check Xfinity while you're doing that. I do know that A.J. Allmendinger is expected to return to the number 16 car for college racing next year. Now, is that – that's one I know we got on our hot topic. Is that going to be in the Cup side or Xfinity? uh, Because there's a couple that tie into that. We're going to have some serious discussion here coming up in a couple minutes for hot topics. Um, yeah, it says that leaves the matter of the 16 car with Almondinger not expected to return to the Cup Series. Instead, returning to the Xfinity Series next year. And, and that's where you talked about that emotional uh, victory lane when he talked about not knowing when the next one was. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if Mike's on online yet here, but kind of talk about it a little bit of that Colic brought him up kind of as a fill-in. You know, AJ was quite content running in the Xfinity Series. Now it seems like, hey, he's got that taste in the Cup Series. He wants to stay there, and he might end up going back. Sponsorship, other driver uh, contracts, a lot of different things come into play. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I overall cannot believe some of the storylines when it comes to silly season that we're hearing now this late in the season. We're talking about two, three races left in the season. Um, We don't know where a couple of drivers are going. There's a couple of drivers that are still possibly going to change teams, um, some bigger names. Uh, I find that rather surprising overall. Yeah, 
Yeah, it is kind of surprising. It's not the first time we've seen it happen. Uh, sometimes some of these announcements come late in in the season and even early into next year. Uh, but I, um, the sooner they can get things wrapped up, the better it is for the teams. Uh, I've been on the fan side of late announcements, and part of the reason why you want to get these things wrapped up early is from a marketing perspective of having, uh, you know, the merchandise available to fans. And I know that uh, when we went through this with Jeff Burton, it took months for the merchandise to be available, and uh, that's why these guys want to get these things wrapped up as soon as possible. Well, and you mentioned that as far as sponsors, the contracts there or whatever that they do, uh, activations, especially when it comes to Daytona, you're right. It's not like it's something they say, hey, we're going to do this, and it's just done um, what they got to go through to be ready, especially, like I said, for Daytona 500, biggest race of the year, that you want to have that marketing activation ready to go for that. Um, you know, and I think back to, I think one of the biggest ones that we all would agree on that was, Carl Edwards' announcement, I believe that came in like January. You're talking about oh, finding yeah. a whole other driver. Uh, I know that Joe Gibbs Racing had the depth to semi-handle that, but it's not an envious position to be in. No, it's not. And uh, I uh, don't envy anybody that's in that situation now uh, where some of these announcements are coming so late in the season. Um or in the early part of next year even, uh, it's not an enviable enviable position to be in. Okay, Uh, we are at the top of the hour. That means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and Mike is here. I'm going to bring him into the queue. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, good evening. Glad to be back. I know I've missed a few, but it's good to be back for this one. Well, we're good to have you back. Uh, how was your travels? Uh, it was work. I mean, you know, you tell people you're going to Europe for a week, and they're, oh, yeah, that's great. And have no, that, that, you, know, you, you spend a few days in the airport hotel right next to De Gaulle Airport, and then they fly over to uh, to basically fly over the middle of the night between Vienna and uh, and Paris. And, yeah, you get to go out and see some things every once in a while, but it's definitely not a European vacation. It's It's work. So, uh, you know, if, if I want to go and actually see Europe, I'm going to have to buy a ticket. Having the man send me out there is probably not the good way to do it. Yeah, I, I understand totally what you're talking about, and, and uh, I can appreciate what you're saying. All right. Also joining us here for Hot Topic Sound Off is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, thank you very much. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty good. Um no European trips for you? No European trips for me. Still um, sitting at home on call. Um, Mike knows about reserve pretty well. So um, the, the more I'm home, the better. So it's been a good deal for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, why don't we have you kick us off with our first hot topic, Andy? Yeah, um, actually, Sharon, you had posted this not long ago, but um, the return of the stage breaks for the Roval this past weekend, thoughts on that and, and what impact it had on the race? Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Overall, I thought the Roval was probably our best road course race that we've had this year. Um, it wasn't the amazing road course racing that maybe we got accustomed to in the Gen 6 era, 
uh, especially towards the end of the last couple of years of the Gen 6 era, the road course racing was outstanding and a big part of the reason why we have so many road course races on the schedule now. However, I will say that the, uh, the race this weekend was probably the best one that we've had since the Gen 7 car came out. With that said, I'm not sure how much I'm going to credit the uh, bringing the stage brakes back to it versus just the fact that the Roval is such a unique track. And it brings its own special challenges and difficulties and just the nature of the racing on there. It, it lends itself to maybe a little bit more competitive or at least a more physical race, and that's what we got yesterday. I think the stage breaks helped. Um, there were a couple periods in the race, especially in the first half of it, where the field did get pretty strung out, and there wasn't a whole lot of competitive passing, at least not towards the front of the pack. Yes, there was racing in, in there towards the back, but probably the top five to top ten Uh, Once they stabilize, especially in stage one and and most of the way through stage two, once the field stabilized there, it really came down to the pit strategy. And that was another reason why the stage breaks went away was they were saying, oh, well, well, it's going to bring in more pit strategy. Well, we saw several different types of pit strategy play out yesterday. And, in fact, we saw the entire race get kind of destroyed by a, uh, a, an ill-timed caution right there at the end of Stage 2, and it really changed who was in the position to potentially win the race. You had Chase Elliott leading at the end of Stage 2, and they were set up to pit right as the caution came out, and that effectively took away the nine team's chance to win the race. They were competitive. They had a very fast race car, but they lost so much track position because of that ill-timed caution that they weren't ever able to recover. So... I think the uh, the stage break cautions, it was a little bit of value added. We certainly didn't lose anything there. I don't think we lost the the strategy racing that we saw earlier this year at some of the other road course races. We saw a little bit of that again this weekend, so I don't think bringing the brakes back hurt that. And overall, I think it was a, a, good, uh, a good race. Whether they should bring back the brakes for the 2024 season, as this was the last road course race of the year, obviously, so we don't really have anything else to go on in the 2023 season. Whether they do it for 2024, yet to be determined. I I don't really have a strong feeling one way or the other. I would just like to see an improvement in the racing overall. Whether that comes with stage break cautions or not is not the important part. I just want to see the racing better because I do love some road course racing. Okay. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? Now, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how supposedly NASCAR would have done something to hurt Chase Elliott versus help him, because that's always the accusation is that they try and help Chase Elliott. So uh, I think this was a case of that disproves that theory, because Mike's right. That one uh, unfortunately did uh, impact the number nine Napa Chevrolet in a big way. But the, the stage breaks, and I mentioned this earlier, I think just from the consistency standpoint that it's a, a – factor in all the other races needs to be in play for all the races, not just some of them. I, I know earlier in the year, we saw a couple of races where there weren't any other cautions and it got strung out, as Mike said, and there wasn't a whole lot of option as far as actual racing or changing of any kind of strategy or flip into the field. And that's why they brought it back. The Roval self-created some of those. We saw Brad Keselowski have a couple. Benny Hamlin was involved in one. Um, Corey LaJoy and the 78, Josh Balicki, I believe. Um, and that might have been the one that brought out the uh, caution for the seven or for the nine. But there were several others in this one that did create enough where the stage breaks wouldn't have necessarily been needed. But like I said, I look at it from the standpoint of just consistency. If you're going to do it one way, do it throughout the entire year. That's my biggest thing. And as I mentioned earlier, when 
Sharon and I were doing the uh, review of the race, a lot of it ties into the television package. Do you want to miss racing, Mm -hmm. caution laps under caution, uh, non-competitive race laps, or green flag racing action? Because the commercials are going to come one way or another, like it or not, it's going to happen. So it comes down to do you want to miss those laps under green flag racing action or under caution? Very, very interesting thoughts there. And I, I kind of lean toward I'm glad to see the the uh, stage breaks back on the road course. Um, the one thing that I think I don't remember them saying that it gave the drivers more options without the stage breaks. I don't know how they have more options when it's running green flag uh, for a good part of that race. But with the with the stage breaks, I do definitely feel like it gives them more options uh, for, as far as strategy and how the race plays out. Um, so, I, I like the stage breaks. I think it makes it more interesting and entertaining for us as fans. I don't always like the restarts, I will say that. Uh, I wish there was something that they could do about the restarts. But um, uh, I think the stage breaks uh, really open the door to more pit strategies and, and strategies. Now, I do know that it was an unfortunate situation for Chase Elliott, uh, similar to what happened to Kevin Harvey. That was an unfortunate situation for him as well. He was leading the race uh, when that happened. Uh, it, it's a, a, a kind of unusual, I think, for it to happen uh, twice in so few races, but um, it does happen. And we've seen that happen even uh, before. So I I like the, I like having the pit uh, I like having the stage races. And uh, the stage breaks is what I'm trying to say. And uh, I, I thought it, it made the racing better at the Charlotte Roval. And uh, I think it – I know there was a reason why they eliminated them in the, some of the other uh, races, uh, road course races in particular. And uh, I think that they're doing some things to kind of alleviate some of the issues that were happening uh, with some of those races. But um, to me, the stage breaks make the racing more interesting. So, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's kind of a a catch-22 for me. Um, When they announced that the stage breaks were going away for the road courses, I got pretty excited about it because instead of having predetermined cautions, it almost put the strategy back into the team's hands for when to pit, when not to pit. Um, You know, it it kind of mixed things up a little bit. But for whatever reason, those road course races this year that were run without stage breaks were some of the most boring races we've seen in a long time, unfortunately. And I think a lot of it just is because we're not used to, we're not used to these races going green anymore. You know, I think that, um, with the implementation of stage breaks, it's just come to be the norm. Um, and I think that we lost some of that excitement factor uh, that we've had in the past. And I think that a lot of fans don't appreciate um, what a strategy race can be like. But that being said, um, 
the these road course races this year just weren't weren't some of our best races. And to Mike's point, some of that has to do with the car and the Gen Seven, and I think the fact that we we just aren't used to a, a NASCAR race going green anymore for its entirety. So. I don't know. Um, it's kind of unfortunate because I've always enjoyed the strategy aspect of these races, and I, you know, felt like removing the stage brace at road courses was supposed to be a really good thing, and it just didn't quite pan out, I guess, the way I think everyone thought it would. So I don't blame them for bringing them back to the Roval this weekend. The Roval was a, a fairly decent race. Not like like Mike said, probably not the best race we've seen at the Roval. I think the best one in my mind was the first year they did it five years ago. Hard to believe it's been that long, but um, it's still a good race. And I, I, I think that the the, the, implement, the re-implementation of the stage breaks on the road courses, it kind of brought somewhat of a normalcy back to it. So I don't know. Um, it's, it's kind of a catch-22. I can see pros and cons to it either way, and I don't know what they'll do moving forward. I guess they'll probably bring them back for next year. They, I don't know that that's been announced yet, but um, it's kind of too bad because I really felt like not having stage breaks, you know, lent itself to some strategy calls that the teams can no longer do. So disappointing from that aspect of it, but on the flip side of it, I think we saw a better race. So I don't know. I think that you could probably argue this one either way. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Jay brings up a really good point regarding the consistency aspect of it. One of the big appeals of NASCAR racing, in my opinion, is how different it is week after week, but there's still that consistent nature, right? We've always, Obviously, we've got the same drivers racing every weekend, racing more or less the same cars. Yes, I understand short tracks versus intermediates. There's going to be a little bit of a package difference, but we're talking like spoiler height and engine horsepower. It's more or less still the same car, and to this, uh, to this matter – the same rules package. All the races, aside from the length, all the races are formatted exactly the same. They pay the same number of points. Everything is as consistent as you can make it by going to different racetracks as you can. So changing a kind of a, almost a, a fundamental aspect of how current NASCAR Cup Series races are, are run, in this manner, the uh, stage break cautions, I think it kind of broke the model a little bit and put a little bit of inconsistency into an otherwise very consistent system. Um, so in the interest of that consistency, I'm glad to see them back. Uh, if they do want to eliminate the stage breaks, I would say they need to do it for all the races. Do they need to do it for all the races? To Sharon's point, I don't think they do. I think it's been value added. Um, it gives a little bit more opportunity to burn off some commercial time. It gives a little bit more opportunity for teams to try different strategies, get a chance to work on their car, potentially fix damage, things like that, and keep the racing interesting for the fans. Remember, this is an entertainment industry here. We like to pretend that this is just racing, and, and yes, it is, but first and foremost, it's entertainment, right? The, the, the race is on TV to sell advertisement, and that's how people put money in their pocket. So keeping the race entertaining, keeping it interesting, and keeping it engaging for the fans is the number one goal there. And how to do that while still maintaining the integrity of the sport is that delicate balance NASCAR needs to work on. I think they lost a little bit too much of the, the interest factor by going away from the stage breaks because the racing itself didn't pan out to be very good. If they had taken away the stage breaks and the races still ended up being very good and competitive with a lot of varying strategy and whatnot, I think we'd be having a very different discussion. 
But the fact that the road course races that we ran this season without the stage race, by and large, were not particularly entertaining or engaging races, I think that's what pushed NASCAR back into the position of, yes, going back to these stage breaks. And I think that was probably the right decision. Um, unless they come up with some sort of, something substantially different that's going to improve the racing at road course races next year, I think they should go back to having the stage breaks at all of the road courses. But I would rather see them fix the car so that we don't need to worry about what kind of, for lack of a better word to use, gimmick that they need to use in order to keep the racing engaging because the car provides that racing on its own. That's probably been the biggest surprise and disappointment of the Gen 7 car is everyone thought it was going to be a great road course car. It looks like a sports car, like an IMSA sports car. It just does not race like it. I don't know why. I'm not an engineer. But until people much, much smarter than me can wrap their heads around the problem, we need to figure out how to keep these road course races interested and engaging because those road course races are some of the, the, the biggest draws for non-NASCAR fans. There's a lot of people who don't watch NASCAR on a week-in, week-out basis who will tune into these road course races because it is a road course. Keeping those people interested by providing a great, entertaining, and exciting race is a very important thing that NASCAR needs to focus on during the offseason, and I really hope they can find something to get it right next year. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, I think the biggest thing, especially when you hear from the teams, is how it affects strategy. And all it does is it changes the strategy. Uh, It's not about one strategy as far as how you win the race. It's a matter of where do you shoot for as far as stage points versus the win, and that depends on where you're at, where you're at in points position, Mm -hmm. especially here in the playoffs where some of it may be more focused on points than it is about the actual win. Um, but we also saw it this, this weekend with, I believe it was Christopher Bell's team, that during the race, their intent was to, one particular strategy, being, being where they were running and the speed they had in their car, that changed midway through the race. They decided they could go ahead and pit and not go for the stage points, only lose, I think they went from second to fifth or sixth, and only lost three stage points, but yet then still made the same strategy that they had the shot to go for the win, which they generally claim they don't have with the stage breaks on road courses. So I think it is is okay to have them and and good to have them. Uh, Again, then you go from the fan perspective of it, bunches them up at least a guaranteed twice throughout a race, as well as you're not losing the green flag racing action, which – that is something that a lot of the fans said. They don't like missing green flag action. NASCAR and the TV partners came with a partnership that provided that. Well, then you got, why aren't you happy? Um, again, it goes back to the, you're never going to please everybody. So I think this is a, a good intermediate um, that keeps all parties at least content. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I I agree with the point of consistency uh, for all the reasons that have already been stated. Uh, I think it it's not only important from the perspective of the race car drivers and 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 all of that, but for those new race fans that you're talking about, uh, if if you've got new race fans that are watching a race one week and they've got stage breaks, and the next week they don't have stage breaks, it makes it confusing. And I think that that consistency is super important from a fan perspective as well. Um, and and I like your point too, Jay. It, it is the options 
for strategy that improves with the stage racing, uh, with the brakes and and everything. They have more options that are available to them uh, for strategy plays, and I, I like that as well. Um, uh, so the restarts, a lot of times they're perfectly fine, but there's become gamesmanship that's taking place during some of these restarts. And just like a lot of things uh, in NASCAR, uh, the drivers are sometimes the people that are responsible for those restarts and why they do the things that they do that make some of those restarts as as challenging as they are. So, um, again, the drivers uh, sometimes have to be regulated, if you will, in order uh, to keep them, uh, you know, from doing things that uh, can end up hurting the sport rather than helping it. But um, uh, I do like the stage breaks. I'm glad that they're back, and I hope they stay back and uh, continue on for however long we continue to race. Andy, what are your final thoughts? Uh, I'm all set. I do not have a follow-up for this one. All right. Mike, what's our next topic? I called in just as you guys were starting to talk about it, but uh, let's get back to A.J. Allmendinger and his future for next year. Even before this weekend, there was a lot of discussion of we knew A.J. was going to stay with Colleague Racing, but the big question is in what capacity would he stay there? Uh, The win this weekend obviously makes a strong case that maybe A.J. does belong in the Cup Series. However, Jordan Bianchi and others have reported today that it still looks like A.J. Allmendinger is going to be returning to the Xfinity Series and they pointed to comments from Chris Rice that seemed to indicate that sponsorship money or lack thereof is the big driving force behind there. Even with a win this weekend, maybe they're able to, to pull up some more sponsorship money in order to keep AJ at that NASCAR Cup Series level. But unfortunately, it seems like unless something changes, this past weekend's winner, he has four races left in the NASCAR Cup Series as a full-time driver, and will be moving back to the Xfinity Series. Okay, Jay, what are your thoughts about that? Well, and I go back to when they announced that Justin Haley was leaving and then that they had made the decision to bring Daniel Hemrick up. I believe even then they said they were set with the 16. They just weren't ready to announce it. Uh, The ironic thing I find is AJ had moved through the Xfinity Series, was very happy with with college racing, and he still is, um, doing whatever they asked. When they went to go cup racing two years ago, and they wanted A.J. Allmendinger as their driver, it seemed like his answer was, I'll do it because I, I love you guys and I'm here, as, here for the company, but that the cup schedule wasn't, he didn't want to do that grind anymore. Um, now it seems like it's reversed, that he wants to stay in the cup series um, and not go back to the Xfinity, but they have appear to have made a, a, to go in a different direction. Um, whether it's financial, it's always financial-based to some level, um, I know that Celsius has been a sponsor of A.J. Allmendinger on several races, so I don't know if they're only willing to put up a certain amount for certain starts. We'll have to see, but uh, I hate it, uh, you know, because A.J. Allmendinger obviously is a driver I like to watch. As I said, he's very emotional and just uh, is very transparent when it comes to things, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, We've seen that occasionally but just a good driver to have. 
The one thing I do look forward to is I think even if they go with another full-time driver in the Cup Series, that AJ will start, still get uh, X number of starts, especially probably on road courses. So it's not like we're not going to see him ever in the Cup Series again. I just think it'll be not as a full-time driver. Um, and to have him go back to the Xfinity Series. We saw him in the Xfinity Series that contending for a championship, and we know College Racing can contend and is contending for championships there. So to have him back in the Xfinity Series obviously bolsters that series as well. Yes, it definitely will do that. Uh, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you can see the emotion from AJ yesterday and, and what really kind of stood out to me, um, and he even said it himself, is you don't know when you're going to get that chance again to win races. And that, to me, um, was a bit of a telltale sign that he probably won't be full-time in the Cup Series next year. And I think they all know what their plans are. It's been said that the, the 16 cards plans, have they've already signed the deal for that. They just haven't announced it yet. So, I think if AJ knew he was going to be back full-time next year, he, you know, I don't know if he'd have been that emotional or not. He's typically been an emotional kind of guy, so it's hard to say. But, um, you know, to see him get like that after winning the race, obviously a big deal to win a cup race, but it just seemed extra, extra emotional to me coming from someone who was coming to the realization that that may have been his last career cup series win, which I find hard to believe considering how good he is on road courses. But, again, we don't really know what's going on next year. It hasn't been announced yet. Um, the only thing that we have heard are reports that he is likely headed back to the Xfinity Series. And he has openly said that he would do whatever colleague asked him to do next year, whether that's Cup or Xfinity. And we all know that, you know, previously when he wasn't running well in the Cup Series, he wasn't having much fun with that when he drove for a different team, came to college, went to the Xfinity Series, and, and has been – you know, had success, won races, and started enjoying his career again. So, you know, maybe going back to Xfinity will will bring back the fun factor for him, although I think yesterday was, was probably a pretty fun day. But I don't know. It's There's been some reports about, you know, where Colleague is headed um, for next year. In fact, I think we've got a, a, a subtopic or another topic pertaining to Colleague racing drivers uh, for this year and next year and whatnot. But specific to AJ, um, I, I don't know. I think it would be a mistake to move him out of the cup car and, and bring him back to Xfinity. I know that he brings a lot to the Xfinity program, but a veteran driver like that can really bring a lot to a cup team. Um, and it's from what from what's been reported, Colleague has made business decisions based on sponsorship dollars that can be brought in by pay drivers, and that's understandable. I've said it so many times on this show. It's a business, and these businesses have to make money to survive, but it's just unfortunate when that starts to outweigh the talent um, of people like A.J. Allmendinger. So I don't really know where their cup program's headed. We know that Hemrick's in the 31, but as far as the 16, we don't know that yet. Um, but from – I read Jordan Bianchi's article about it, and, and he had some pretty strong opinions on it as far as their cup program and where it's headed, and it wasn't that favorable. So I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But honestly, colleague racing going forward has a lot of question marks surrounding it. 
Yeah, I I definitely agree. I know that uh, they were asked at it during the press conference after AJ won, and um, uh, I guess they admitted that a decision was made, but they haven't announced it yet. Uh, They want to win races. We love AJ, colleague said. Uh, We haven't all decided. And then he kind of backtracked on that and said, actually, we just haven't announced it yet exactly what we're doing. I think we're pretty clear on what we're doing. Excuse me. We just haven't announced anything. And then AJ kind of said some things that kind of shed some light as well. Give me just a second here. (laughs) I got one of those tickles. (coughs) I apologize. Uh, AJ's comment. (coughs) Excuse me. AJ's comments were that he'd like to stay in cup. That was always the thought to try to move the program along. But at the end of the day, it's a business, and it's about trying to find the funding for it. So that tells me that there are some funding issues for him to stay in the cup series, and that's why he's coming back to the Xfinity series. And it is unfortunate uh, because AJ is a good driver, as we all know. Uh, he does wear his feelings on his sleeve, and a lot of people really like that. <clears throat> when people get emotional about uh, a win like that, uh, and and I've I've heard some of his uh, post race interviews, and uh, <clears throat> I do need to make an announcement right now too. And I, again, I apologize for my voice. Uh, But for our first-time listeners, I do want to just mention that we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We will continue our conversation here, and that part of the the show will be recorded and will be part of our post, our, our podcast that will come out when we finish our show here today. Well, I'll go out on Twitter and Facebook and let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, or very shortly thereafter, you'll be able to fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of our conversation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but uh, just to get back to the topic here, uh, I, I think it's a shame Uh, that A.J. has to uh, come back. But you're right. He said he'll do whatever is best for the organization. And when it comes down to dollars and cents and what's best for the organization uh, is not always the ideal situation. Uh, But it sounds like this is what's best for colleague racing at this stage of the game. And we'll see how it continues to play out as the season progresses Uh, for next season I'm talking about. Mike, what are your thoughts? All right, brace yourselves, because there's a very high likelihood that this is just going to turn into a rant, but here we go. Um, There are a lot of things I love about our sport. I love NASCAR racing. I absolutely do. It's my favorite sport. It always has been. I hate this part of our sport. I can't put it into strong enough words how much I hate this part of our sport. The fact that we have drivers in an organization like Justin Haley and A.J. Allmendinger, who effectively built Colleague Racing to where they are 
Uh, I don't have any numbers in front of me, but I'd be willing to bet that Justin Haley and A.J. Allmendinger account for probably 80% of all the total wins that Colleague Racing has ever had. A.J. Allmendinger has the only three wins in the NASCAR Cup Series for Colleague Racing. The fact that Colleague Racing needed to cut Justin Haley loose earlier this year, and it, very looked, it looks very, very likely that they're going to have to cut A.J. Allmendinger from the NASCAR Cup Series and move him to the Xfinity Series, all because of money is terrible. I despise it, but it's a necessary part of our sport. The fact that we need to take drivers who, uh, the, the story should be celebrating a win from A.J. Allmendinger. He just won his third career cup series race last year, or last uh, yesterday, Not just barely 24 hours from now. His third career cup series race, and we all saw the joy and the emotion with A.J. and the rest of the team. And the fact that we're here Monday evening talking about the extremely high likelihood that A.J. Allmendinger is going to lose his ride because of funding is terrible. I hate it. And the other part of that is it all comes down to the money to the point where we have drivers like this who get displaced out of their rides to make room for paid driver hacks. And we all have to pretend like these hacks are just as good as the drivers they're replacing, and they have just as much skill. And I'll always pretend that the reason in their car is anything other than the fact that the check cleared. And that's why they're in the car and not a driver like A.J. Allmendinger. And it's really, really frustrating. And like I said, this is going to be a rant, so I, I hope you, you were sitting down for it. But I, I hope you can understand my frustration with this. And it's not just A.J. Allmendinger. We've seen it at other teams, particularly in the Astro Xfinity Series and the Truck Series, where drivers who are extremely talented, show a lot of skill and a lot of potential, end up losing out on their rides to make room for a pay driver who's bringing money to the table, and the money takes the place of skill. And now the driver that has the potential to, if, if they had that kind of support behind them, they could potentially be a future Cup Series champion, but they're sidelined to make room for somebody who brings money to the table because our sport is just simply too expensive to do it without that. Something's got to change. I really, really, really hope with this upcoming TV rights deal and the associated uh, revenue disbursement and charter agreements that we can move away from this sponsorship-driven model where it is so dependent on sponsorship money and pay drivers that it displaces talented and meritorious drivers and, the, and makes room for their, only the guys who bring money to the table. I really hope we're able to fix that system and we're able to make our sport better for the very, very best drivers, not simply the best-funded ones. End of rant. Okay, Jay, your thoughts and follow-up. Well, I, I partially agree with Mike. I don't like the fact that it's happening, but it's not just about necessarily bringing in, uh, I, I can't get behind the hack or no talent drivers coming in with a paycheck because some of it is, uh, call it nepotism, um, would be one area possibly, but also just a cheaper driver. And I think to Joe Gibbs Racing uh, just last year, Joe Gibbs Racing not being able to cover Kyle Busch's paycheck, but being able to cover Ty Gibbs. Now, I know Ty Gibbs falls under the family, and that's why I threw that in there, but he's shown he is a talented driver, but he comes with a cheaper price tag than Kyle Busch did or was. So it's not always necessarily even about lack of talent. It's just a, a cheaper uh, way to go. And normally, again, as you're getting started, a younger driver comes with that cheaper tag um, versus the veteran driver. And you take that chance of can they become a top elite driver at NASCAR series top level or even one of the, of the top three, if you're talking about trucks or Xfinity, of bringing a new driver in 
they aren't guaranteed to win races, that doesn't mean they don't have talent. Uh, you know, it takes time to develop when you make that jump. We've heard all the drivers talk about that. Jumping from late models even to the trucks or the Xfinities is still a jump and a learning curve. Um, so, I, like I said, I can't fully get behind the no talent or it's just about the paycheck, but the money-driven aspect of it, and this is quite prevalent when it comes to A.J. Allmendinger uh, and college racing. Now, I don't know, and that's where it really don't, being that they haven't announced it, what the plan moving forward is. If it's going to be a rotation of drivers, if there's another driver or sponsor that's coming in, got no idea because really haven't heard any rumblings that indicate what the direction they're going is other than it may not be A.J. Allmendinger, which is becoming more and more prevalent. So it'll be interesting to see what direction they go. I mean, truthfully, it may be that that team goes away or they sell or lease that charter uh, to somebody else. And you know that there's money to be made with that. Uh, if you're going to outright buy it, it costs you about $40 million. So, again, I haven't heard any indication on that. I'm just saying that's a possibility of you fund one full team by selling off your other charter. Okay, Andy, your follow-up. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see what the the uh, the remedy is for the 16 car for next year if it's one or, or multiple drivers, um, you know. But I I would agree with with Jordan Bianchi's article that whatever they do, um, it's not going to be an improvement probably from AJ Allmendinger, and and that's what you know. This is the part like Mike said that becomes frustrating because they'll put out a press conference and. They'll say that so and so is is here because we believe in them to win races, yada yada. When in fact, reading between the lines, it's really we brought so and so here because they bring in ten million dollars, you know. And that's the part that is always frustrating. And in fact, um, Jordan's article was quoted as saying that colleague racing likes to go trophy hunting, but they're going to be doing it with two pea shooters next year, which made me laugh a bit. And he's right. He's a hundred percent right with that assessment. So I, I don't know. I, you know, Hemrick, Hemrick is a little perplexing to me. I think that he has potential. He is an Xfinity Series champion. He's kind of always just been right there, but never really gotten over that hump to be a consistent winner. So we'll see what he's able to do in a Cup car for calling next year. I don't know. Um, I just. I, when I think colleague racing, though, right now, I really just think big question mark to me. They, they have a lot of questions surrounding where they're headed uh, for the future. And, and, you know, to me, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Um, and I'm, I'm also interested to talk about we've got another topic coming up regarding, you know, what one of their other drivers may or may not do next year. And that's another big big um, puzzle piece really as far as the future of that team i think so we'll see what happens but it's it's very uh perplexing right now what what they're up to and, and where they think they're headed as far as being relevant down the road yeah i don't have a whole lot to add here i i, I uh understand the frustration and and uh you know i think jay brings up some good points as well uh, it's not just about the funding that they bring in, but it's getting a driver that costs less than the driver that they're currently paying. Um, so it's, there's there's more to it. 
but uh, it, it comes down to being a business, and you've got to run it like a business. You can't operate a business at a loss. Uh, you have to uh, run a business to make money, and that's what this is really all about. And so <clears throat> uh, AJ said that he didn't care whether he ran in the Cup Series or the Xfinity Series as long as he's able to get behind the wheel and drive with the car uh, and do what he needs to do to support the organization. He's good with it. So we'll see where it goes. Um, there's a lot of uh, open questions right now about what that is, what that possi- what those possibilities are. I think there's a number of different possibilities here. Uh, and Jay, I thought you brought up a good one: the fact that they could be selling the charter uh, to get bring in revenue for the organization uh, is certainly another option uh, that's out there. Uh, and available to them. So I guess we just have to kind of wait and see how it all plays out. But, Mike, I, I share your frustration. I, I understand uh, that it's kind of the the downside of the sport uh, right now <clears throat> that uh, it takes sponsorship in order to run. And keep in mind, too, that Colleague himself, Matt Colleague himself, has kind of funded these teams out of his own pocket for a few years now, and he can only do that for so long, too. So it, 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 you have to be able to bring in the sponsorship dollars, and if you can't do that, then changes have to be made. And uh, uh, that's what it boils down to, and, and we'll have to see how the rest of this story plays out. What are your final thoughts, Mike? Kind of like I said in my first reply, I'm really, really hopeful that NASCAR and the team owners can do something to fix the revenue model within the sport. This goes far, far deeper than just A.J. Allmendinger and Colleague Racing. A.J. and what's going on with him and his, his situation for next year, it's a symptom of a much, much larger problem. And the problem being the overwhelming cost of not just Cup Series racing, but especially Cup Series racing and NASCAR racing in general. It's just so astronomically expensive, and sponsorship money has gotten relatively thin, especially compared to where it was maybe 10 to 15 years ago. It's, it's gotten to the point now where the system has broken colleague racing. Five years ago, Colleague was an up-and-coming, upstart team that was looking extremely positive. They were winning a lot of Xfinity Series races. They seemed like they were gaining momentum. And then their wave kind of crashed against the rocks of the Cup Series. And not only has their Cup Series program been struggling, but I think their Xfinity Series program has been a bit off the pace this year as well. Even guys like Kyle Busch driving the 10 car and several other NASCAR Cup Series drivers in the 10 car have only been decent in a colleague racing prepared number 10 car in the Xfinity Series. And I think a lot of that has to do with the financial situation at Colleague. You mentioned that Colleague self-funding that car from his own company, he owns the leaf filter company. So whenever you see leaf filter on the car, that's effectively coming out of Matt Colley's pocket. We saw the same thing with Furniture Row Racing and Barney Visser. He owned Furniture Row. And for a long time, that was the only sponsor on the car was Barney Visser reaching into his own company's pocket to sponsor the race car. And eventually Barney decided he no longer wanted to do it. And they stopped putting the the Furniture Row on the car. And when the sponsorship went away, so did Furniture Row Racing, who at the time was the defending NASCAR Cup Series champion. 
I really hope that the 2025 and beyond TV rights deal and charter arrangement and revenue sharing model is able to address this and we're able to get away from the model that just breaks teams if they're unable to source sponsorship in an economic climate where sponsorship money for a multi-multi-million dollar racing operation is very difficult to come by. I really hope we can fix it so drivers like A.J. Allmendinger and others have the opportunity to enjoy the excitement and the joy of winning cup races like we saw yesterday with A.J. And I know, I know Andy's not a fan of Chris Rice, but I was happy for him. I was happy for the entire colleague racing organization because like aj said it's such a big deal to win a cup series race and to going into okay, the future did i drop was that I, I hear you sharon do you hear me yeah i didn't for a second there but now i do all Who right well i, I kind of wrapped up what i said okay Okay, great. Uh, we'll let that be the last word, I guess, and uh, we'll move on to another hot topic, but uh, uh, I appreciate your thoughts. Jay, what's our next hot topic? Well, this one ties into the Xfinity side of uh, college racing, and this one caught me extremely off guard. Chandler Smith uh, has been linked to leaving college racing and returning to the Toyota Pipeline with Joe Gibbs Racing for the 2024 season. And this is a, uh, it's on J-Ski, I guess is where it came from. Uh, Smith would need to be a buyout from his college contract with a two years remaining on the deal. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, this is what I was just alluding to. Um, you know, the other side of things for colleague racing um, the potential loss of Chandler Smith is, is really troubling to me as far as colleague racing future is concerned. Um, you know, I think that he has been arguably um, their best Xfinity Series driver this year. Um, you know, he's he's won, I think, at least one race, one or two races, and has done a really good job in his rookie season in the Xfinity Series. And I think would only improve with time. Um, Chandler is one of the few guys that I've seen in recent years that seems to have that 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 natural talent to to make it further and further into the sport. And I think that we saw that with with how successful he was in the Truck Series with KBM, and we've seen it this year with Collie in the Xfinity Series. I think that going into a second full Xfinity season next year is going to make him dangerous. I think that he's going to be really good. Um, so for him to potentially leave colleague and go to JGR um, is bad for the team, but really good for would be potentially really good for Chandler um, to fill the void left by John Hunter Nibichak. I mean, we all know what, what John Hunter's done this year um, in the 20 car. And if Chandler went back to Toyota, um, to go to JGR in the Xfinity Series, I mean, he would be, I think, looked at as an immediate championship threat for next year. So um, what would be a, a pretty significant loss, I think, for, for Colling Racing in its own future would be a huge um, regain, if you will, for, for Toyota, who would get back one of its most promising development drivers. And so um, 
you know, I think it'd be a huge win for Toyota, huge loss for Chevrolet and for Colleague. And, you know, I think for me, looking at Colleague racing uh, in their Cup Series future, Chandler Smith, you know, being signed to their Xfinity program, to me, meant that they were looking looking at possibly bringing Chandler up to the Cup Series at some point. And I think that, you know, with some time and, and experience, Chandler Smith would have been a, a a fantastic addition to the Colleague Cup program, somebody that they could work with and build around, and I think somebody that would have success, I think, over time. And for that to dissolve um, would be, I don't think, a good situation for the team. So we'll see when or if that gets announced, if it's true or not. Um, but that would be that would be a surprising development. I, I agree with Jay. I did not see that coming. I thought that he was locked in there for a while, and, and the fact is he is locked in there for a while. Um, he still has two more years left in, on his contract. If he does go to Joe Gibbs Racing, it would mean having to be bought out of that contract. So a bit of a surprise move, but for whatever reason, um, you know, just feels like they need to make that change. And I guess we'll see um, when, when or if that's officially announced and we can talk about it some more. But definitely a, a bit of a surprise move if it comes to fruition. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? This is an interesting one because this, this came up yesterday in the post-race press conference uh, with Chris Rice, Matt Colling, and A.J. Allmendinger. Obviously, the main topic of discussion was A.J.'s win, but they did talk a little bit about the other plans for Colling Racing, both in the Cup Series and the Xfinity program, and it almost sounded like there was some beef there between Chris Rice and Chandler Smith. Uh, the topic of Chandler Smith came up and what he was doing next year, and Chris Rice basically said, I don't know, you should talk to his agent. And then AJ said something about winning, and Chris Rice jumped right back in about, yeah, I didn't know we could win. You should talk to, uh, to Chandler's agent. And it was, it was kind of off-putting. Like the, 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 obviously, Chandler Smith has had some struggles this summer. Uh, he was strong at the beginning of the year. He won a couple races, and then he has really faded from contention. I don't know if that is because of a broader problem at Colleague Racing. You look at the 10 car as well as the 11, and they've been okay but not wonderful. They haven't really been uh, super competitive, and neither has the 16 car. So I don't know that I would put the lack of competition or competitiveness on Chandler Smith's shoulders, at least not entirely, but it does sound like there might be some frustration there, or maybe that bad blood came from Chandler Smith already trying to move on to, uh, to Joe Gibbs Racing and now Chris Rice kind of wants to just kind of jab at him a little bit about not winning any races and then trying to leave the team. I don't know, but it does sound like something is going on there. We just don't know what it is yet. It does sound like we're going to find out a few more pieces from Colleague Racing as soon as this week, so maybe as soon as the Thursday show, we're going to have more to talk about it. But it definitely sounds like there's some interesting things going on in Colleague land, maybe not for the better for a lot of people. Yeah, we've seen this happen before. And uh, I remember <clears throat> Jack Roush being upset that uh, he found out that Jeff Burton was talking to RCR. Um, and I, I know we've seen it in other situations, too, where people get a little bent out of shape if they think that their driver is talking to somebody else. Uh, and I suspect that that's what's happened in this case. Uh, another comment that was made here is such a move would require a buyout of the two remaining years of their contract. And Rice simply say, saying money talks. 
when he was asked about it over the weekend. So um, it does sound like they they are certainly interested in selling out the 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 uh, contract, uh, and they're looking for an offer from Joe Gibbs Racing in order to make that happen. So. Again, going back to the money issues with college racing, uh, that makes sense uh, that they would be looking for a way to make that money. But you guys kind of said it. I know when Chandler went to college racing this year, uh, we all thought that that was a big loss for Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing and a big gain for Chevrolet. Uh, But now it's going to turn out to be the exact opposite. And... uh, uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe they realize that they lost something big here, and they've had a couple of losses, and they need to get some of those back. And so they went after him. Um, we don't know the whole story behind it. Uh, I know, uh, Mike, you've alluded to some of the uh, things that could be happening, um, but uh, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Uh, but I think it's a, it, it is kind of interesting that after one year. Uh, he's ready to make that change back with Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, you never know. Maybe Chandler uh, figured out that there were some money problems there and decided that uh, he needed to jump the ship too. So we'll have to wait and see what happens and how it all plays out. But uh, an interesting storyline for sure. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, and the intrigue for me doesn't end there. You also go to Joe Gibbs Racing and we don't have all the details as far as length of contract, but they just had Sammy Smith leave the team um, to go to junior mm-hmm. motorsports. And that was only after one year. Um, and again, it's pretty much in the same boat. Rookie year or rookie season in the Xfinity Series playoffs, won a race, made the playoffs. So again, of why you're not building towards the future. Now, when you talk about though with Toyota, if it's through the manufacturer, for whatever reason, you mentioned Chandler Smith left the Toyota organization to go over to Chevrolet, and we talked about that. Um, they have other drivers that they seem to be invested in, Jesse Love, William Solich, uh, that are coming. So i just a little confused across the board when it comes to Toyota and what they're doing. The Chandler Smith and, and Colleg Racing deal there, I can't even make any comments because I really don't understand it or, or know where it's coming from. Um, whether it's a personality thing, we've seen it sometimes when you talk about uh, a driver just not matching up with a manufacturer. I bring up Noah Gregson. And I still think that that may be some one that is in play in all of these conversations. Um, and I think back to college racing had this, the infrastructure that must at least be appealing because that was one where Kyle Busch had looked at as far as going to when he looked at leaving Joe Gibbs Racing. They were at least a player in the Kyle Busch sweepstakes, if you will. Uh, so there, there is the infrastructure. There's something there. And Mike alluded to it of what they had built. Of maybe it hit a hiccup as far as the Cup Series and that, whether or not that affected the Xfinity Series. I don't fully agree with that because the 10, although they had rotating drivers in it, was still in the owner's championship, um, and we saw several win in that number 10 uh, machine. Latter part of the season, maybe it wasn't as strong, but I just, I'm not sure what all the dynamics are that has brought this about, uh, I guess is where I'm confused. And like I said, it goes to me also of 
Joe Gibbs Racing swapping Smiths, if you will. Uh, I found that kind of funny. <laughs> I was surprised that they were letting Sammy Smith go. They let Chandler go and invested in Sammy after one year. To me, they have just about the same stat line. Again, Chandler has advanced. Sammy is not. Why then the, the willingness or whatever it's come about that they're, they're trying to swap them over, um, I, don't, I don't have the understanding behind it, I guess. And there's probably only a few people that do. <laughs> uh, Andy, your follow-up. Um, no follow-up to this one. I'm good. Okay, Mike? Sharon, you bring up a really good point about owners maybe getting a little bit too possessive of their drivers. It's like you brought up Jack Roush and you know Chris Rice, and there's plenty of other examples as well where like an owner almost feels personally slighted just because a driver is trying to to see if there's anything else out there and other other opportunities out there. And we talk a lot about NASCAR being a business, and that's not doesn't just exist from the team owner perspective. There's nothing wrong with the driver seeking other opportunities elsewhere if they think that that's what's best for their careers. Yeah, you might have a guy under contract, but that doesn't mean you own him. In fact, I think there's only one driver right now that even has his owner's name tattooed on him, and Bubba Wallace doesn't even drive for Richard Petty anymore. So I think that's about <laughs> the extent of it. Just because you have a driver under contract, that doesn't mean you own them. That doesn't mean you have the right to get upset about them looking elsewhere. So if Chandler Smith wants to look at Joe Gibbs Racing or anybody else who thinks he provides or they provide him a better opportunity to win on a more consistent basis, I got nothing to say about that one. Chris Rice can pound sand. All right. I don't have a whole lot more to offer to this either. Uh, There's just so so many unknowns right now, and uh, I think we're all kind of scratching our head about what the possibilities are. But, uh, you know, until until, uh, we know more, it's it's hard to really comment on it uh, too much. But, Jay, what are your final thoughts? Well, I'll comment on it and go with some made-up scenarios, if you will. Um, based on something Mike said there uh, of the owner feeling slighted, well, take that from the other side. And I think back to Tyler Reddick is what created, created partially created the Kyle Busch uh, sweepstakes, announced a year ahead of time that he was going to go to Toyota in Team 2311. I believe he felt slighted because Richard Childress Racing had not renewed his contract. They had the option, and it wasn't taken, so he went elsewhere and went ahead and finalized something for his future. So I think he felt slighted. Now, the way that announcement came out and when the the timing of it and all, obviously Richard Childress in return felt slighted and didn't appreciate it. And Sharon mentioned Jack Roush. I think it was back, uh, I don't remember how far back, Matt Kenseth going to the dark side when it was announced he was going to Toyota. Uh, I thought that's the one you were going to go with. Um, Yeah, there's definitely some tensions and feelings that get involved there. Totally created scenario of a driver feeling slighted. Noah Gregson going to go into the number 16 for college racing. Chandler Smith felt that was his spot. He feels slighted. Just throwing that out there. Interesting. (laughs) Okay, we'll let that be the last word, and we'll do our roundtable. Andy, why don't you kick us off there? Good to be 14 fan on uh, Twitter, and as always, good to be on for the the, um, discussion tonight. And um, 
we will see if I can be back on. Uh, actually, I will be back on Thursday. Uh, I'm off that day. So uh, enjoy tonight, and we'll talk to everybody on Thursday as well. Okay, sounds good. Mike. Mike underscore is O on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. They gave me a trip, so I'm going to be stuck working again on Thursday, unfortunately. Uh, maybe next week, I believe I should be off on Monday. I'll keep you all posted. I look forward to talking to you all whenever the next time that is. Okay, Jay. You can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on X, formerly known as Twitter, and whatever the other social media, Instagram, Mopar8 on Mopar MJ8 on Instagram as well. And just to wrap up for me tonight, speaking of people feeling slighted and feelings getting hurt, I will give Mike an apology for picking on him with his fan for racing fantasy picks. I apparently hurt his feelings. Mike, I apologize. (laughs) No, Jay, but the Air Force killed them long, long ago. Andy, were you going to say something? I was just going to say you, you can never let up on Mike, Jay. You got to you got to keep going with that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing uh, blog and radio on Facebook, as well as our website, fanforacing.com. And uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend of racing because I'm going to be there this weekend. <laughs> And uh, definitely looking forward to watching both the Xfinity and the Cup Series race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. But I'll also be there for the um, ARCA West race that's going to be at the Bull Ring on uh, Friday night. So um, uh, we're going to take off on Wednesday, and uh, it's going to take us a few days to get there. So in between (laughs) uh, driving and hotels, I'm going to get the radio shows in. And uh, that should be a lot of fun all by itself. So uh, a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys and all that you do uh, to tune in, whether it's on the podcast or our live broadcast. And, of course, to our Fan for Racing crew. And tonight we had Jay Huseman, Andy Lasky, Mike Orzel, and myself. And um, you guys always make it fun and interesting, so I appreciate each and every one of you. And I can't wait for us to do it again on the other side. Or Actually, it will be this Thursday uh, for our preview show of the races coming up at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So it uh, should be a lot of fun. And I'm hoping I can get some interviews that maybe we can play on the radio show next week. <clears throat> so uh, with that, I, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, guys. Unless you guys have something else. Have a good night. Have a good night. Later. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you again on Thursday. Good night, everybody.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.